Our apartment lease in New York City is almost up, which means it's time for that hunt for the perfect apartment again. And I'm sure everyone can agree to this, but when your apartment takes off all of the boxes, you feel so much happier being home. You look forward to going home, but it is hard. It is hard finding the perfect place, especially in a place like New York. For us, we need to have an in-unit washer and dryer. That is like a non-negotiable. We need to have hardwood floors because of my allergies. And we love any unit facing Southwest. That is golden hour prime time. And since we're not in New York City right now, we've been using Apartments.com to help us find our new home. Apartments.com has helped millions of renters find their perfect place with powerful search tools to help find a rental listing that checks all of your specific unique boxes. I love that there's a ton of 3D virtual tours which have come in honestly so handy for us because we're constantly traveling these days. It saves us so much time and money and it's really helpful for if you're moving to a new city. Maybe you're moving to the next town over. Saves you so much time. My favorite feature though is the amenity filters. So you can make sure your possible future home has all of the amenities you need. Like I said, in unit washer and dryer. But you can even search for units with a balcony so you can enjoy a nice sunrise with your coffee. And once you find a new place that you like, you can even favorite them so they're all neatly organized. I get so excited to apartment hunt every night with my fiance. So visit apartments.com, the place to find a place. I really wish I could be one of those girls that loves doing cardio. That's like every morning I need to get up and I need to run 10 miles. But I genuinely prefer rotting in bed. Listening to audiobooks probably is the only way that I get any steps in. A story that just makes any type of repetitive activity better is my favorite kind of story. And my absolute favorite go-to platform to use is Audible. I love Audible because of their unparalleled selection. They've got thousands of titles to choose from. They have audiobooks across every genre from thrillers to romance novels to self-help books but they also have podcasts guided wellness programs theatrical performances comedy originals i'm a thriller girly so i'm currently listening to a flicker in the dark by stacy willingham and the story follows a psychologist named chloe she moved to baton rouge to get away from the family's dark history chloe's dad is in prison for the kidnapping and murder of six young girls who went missing when chloe was a kid so there's a lot to unpack already chloe is the reason her dad got arrested she found this charm belonging to one of the victims in her dad's closet. But there are some things that just don't add up about the investigation. And just when Chloe feels like she's finally moving on from the past, a series of copycat murders start happening in Baton Rouge, forcing Chloe to dig up the past. The story is so fast-paced. I love it. And there are so many red herrings. Anyone can be a suspect, including Chloe's own husband, her brother. I've been listening to portions of this audiobook for about 30 minutes every single morning while I go out for a little light, I want to say jog, but right now it's more of a walk. And listening to audiobooks always sets me up to be more productive and creative throughout the day. So if you're looking for a way to spice up your cardio sessions or just be more inspired, sometimes I just play it and I rot in bed anyway. I just lay there and I listen to it and it's so good. I highly recommend using Audible. Audible members can keep one title a month to keep from their entire catalog. New members can try Audible now for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash baking or text baking to 500-500. That's audible.com slash baking or text baking to 500-500 to try Audible free for 30 days. Bada bing, bada bam. Welcome to this week's episode of Bacon a Mystery, Bacon a Murder. I'm your host, Stephanie Sue. And if you guys don't know, this is like a Monday thing now, okay? We've got the rotten mangoes on Wednesdays and Sundays, so it just felt appropriate. I will be doing this three Mondays of the month. <laughs> Let's get into it because this one is going to be really long. This is a book that I have been 
You know what? Let me just get started. First of all, we are going to be, if you guys are watching the visuals over on YouTube or Spotify, we are making a mandarin orange cake, like a tangerine cake. It sounds confusing, but just like bear with me. It's gonna be the tangerine inside of a cake and then you cut it, but the tangerine isn't cooked because who the f likes cooked fruit? It's a weird <laughs> recipe. I don't even know how I ended up on this side of the internet. And while we do that, let me tell you what got me hooked on this book. Ellie was the perfect daughter. She was, um, she was kind of What's beloved. What's the name of the book? Oh, it's called Then She Was Gone by Lisa Jewell. Just you wait, okay? I'm gonna link it below. Have you talked about the... Yes, I listened to it on Audible, I read it on Kindle, and I even have a physical copy. I'm literally obsessed. Anytime I like a book, I have to get all three versions, like everything. Ellie was the perfect daughter. She was beloved by her parents, her teachers, her friends, her family. But then all of a sudden, she was freaking gone. She vanished. Now that you're like, okay, that's not that like new of a subject. Well, her mom, Laurel, is trying to put her life back together. She's trying to go out, date some people, and do all of these things. She gets a divorce from her husband. Her other kids don't really want to talk to her. So when she finally meets a nice man of her own in a cafe one day, she thinks, oh, Maybe, maybe I'm on track to like live a new life. I've been living in this shell before. Wait, this is after the daughter yeah. is missing. And there's no answers, there's no leads, nobody knows what happened, her body hasn't been found, nothing, it's just so bizarre. Has this been years? Years. Oh, and so when she's she, trying to get back, get back her life. Exactly, her and her husband divorced, you know, Ellie's father divorced. And when she meets her new boyfriend, she goes over to his house for the first time and runs into his daughter named Poppy. And Poppy takes Laurel's breath away. Okay. <laughs> because Poppy, looking at Poppy, is like looking at Ellie. Even the way she talks, even the way she carries herself, it is so bizarre. So okay. it's the one that you're saying that she looks like her daughter. Yes, exactly like her daughter. Mm. Carries herself like her daughter, her missing daughter that she has no leads about, and her new boyfriend is just here with a daughter look-alike. What are you talking about? <laughs> I absolutely love this book. It was such a refreshing book for a thriller genre. I think the family drama was very unexpected. It added so much character depth. And I think that all of the thoughts and the feelings that each character had, especially the main character, Laurel, the mom, all of those thoughts and feelings were incredibly believable, which I find to be difficult in the world of fiction because sometimes you have to have those annoying main characters to move the plot along. But this one, it didn't feel like, okay, I get it. Like you just want this scene to happen. So you did this. It feels really realistic. I mean, there was no unrealistic, cringy dialogue like in most thrillers and the plot twist. They were written in a way where you think that you know what's going on and then the twist happens and it just catches you off guard because you're like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. So with that being said, please go pick up a copy. I'm actually gonna link like the Amazon and the Barnes and Noble linked in the description, but it's always better to get it at like your uh, local bookshop if you have one, or go download it on your little e-readers or get it on Audible, okay? Anyway, let's get into the story while we make this cake. I'm actually going to start separating the egg yolks and the egg whites into this one. Now, Laurel Mack would say that she had a good life. In hindsight, she didn't think that she did, but she kind of did. When she was going through her life, she didn't think her life was great. That was just kind of her style. She was always one of those people that saw everything as glass half full, glass half 
No, glass half empty. She's one of those people all the time. The type of person that would wake up after a long, good eight hour nap and still be convinced that she did not sleep well last night. Like, she'd Na be like, She napped for eight hours <laughs> and she's like, Yeah, that I didn't was even sleep. <laughs> I didn't even, my neck hurts. That was horrendous. She's one of those people, even when that didn't happen. She just was never content. Her hair was either too short or too long. Her house was too big to clean it or too small to, you know, it felt crowded. Her kids were either too loud or too quiet or they were always out with their friends or they never left the house and touched grass. She just had a list of complaints. That's the kind of mom and wife and friend that Laurel was. She just had a negative mindset. I think it came naturally to her. For example, she always cooked organic food for her family and her kids. Now you'd think that's like a symbol of a good mom, right? She's like taking time out of her day, cooking all of this stuff, but she would never stop complaining about it. She absolutely hated doing it, but she would still do it because she loved her family. Do you see what I'm saying? It's kind of confusing. So she will do the right things, but she will compa complain alone. Yes. Okay. And she's just a, yeah, no, she didn't find joy in being a mom like that in that sense. Mm -hmm. She didn't find joy in the chores. I mean, who does? But truly, Laurel's life wasn't the most fulfilling. Every chore that wasn't done, every late bill that they had, I mean, it made her miserable. Her personality was the type to get so stressed over these things. And all of those things, they really affected her personality. This is a very roundabout way of me just saying, Laurel was kind of a Okay. <laughs> and it's okay to say that because she admits it herself and she's a fictional character <laughs> and she just got a little bit too anal about every little thing and she had these impossibly high expectations for her husband her kids none of them could ever do anything right except ellie this is laurel's youngest daughter ellie could do no wrong she could do nothing wrong None at all. I mean, she was the definition of a golden child in the family. She was the youngest of the family, the baby. She was beautiful. She had these hazel eyes, light brown hair, and this big, big personality. Sometimes I feel like her personality was a little bit too big for her little bot at times. She was really spoiled, but she was actually so sweet to the point where even if you wanted to hate her, you couldn't hate her. Like one of those people, do you know what I'm talking about? Mm -hmm. Even her two older siblings wanted to hate her for being the apple of everybody's eye, but they couldn't. She was so bubbly, she was so fun. Like, I feel like I owe you more information about Ellie because she goes missing later. So let's just get into a little bit about Ellie. She was 15 years old when she goes missing and she had just gotten into her very first relationship with her boyfriend, Theo Goodman. He was the best looking boy in junior class. Like. In year 11, hottest kid. He was like the most popular guy in class. I mean, but he's not the jock that you're expecting. He's not that weird football player that's a little bit too cocky. He was actually one of those popular boys that was also super shy. He didn't even realize how hot he was. He didn't realize <laughs> how every girl in junior, I know this is fictional, but it feels so weird calling high schoolers hot now. Like he didn't realize how every girl in junior class thought that he was so freaking hot. He was always on top of his class and so was Ellie. So they were kind of, you know, the power couple, the naturally attracted to each other couple. They were the hottest, the smartest, the most perfectest kids. And of course they were gonna date. I mean, it would just only make sense that way. But there was a problem. No matter how much Ellie's parents spoiled her, like no matter how much she excelled in every department of her life, she kind of had an insecurity problem. She just didn't feel like she was good enough, never good enough. 
And when she and Theo started dating, she felt this immense pressure of, oh, I gotta keep up. I gotta keep up or this guy is gonna realize that I'm not that great. So for example, they were in the same math class and Theo got an A as per usual, but Ellie got a B plus. Listen, math was her weakest subject and she got a B plus, so she's really smart, but it didn't matter. She didn't care that it was her weakest subject. She didn't care that she wasn't naturally good at math. She was devastated. She literally thought this is it. I don't deserve Theo anymore. He's way out of my league and he knows it. So we're adding in the salt into the egg whites now. And the flour. Is it mixing or what? Yeah, it is. Are you kidding? Hold on. Ow, ow, leg cramp, ow. I hate the smell of flour and eggs. It's, <laughs> it smells like breath, but not like bad breath. Let me smell that. Oh yeah, it's like your breath. Honey, I kill you. <laughs> Honey, look. Oh my God. This thing broke and all the rust went in here. There's like brown specks. It's the rust from in here. Cause. Oh my God. Oh my God. We gotta redo it. That was dumb. I. I messed up. What's a baking a murder? What's a baking a mystery without a baking mishap? So into the egg yolks is where I was supposed to add the flour and the freaking salt. I put it into the egg whites. I don't know why. Okay, so we're just going to add this in now. Like, I'm so bad at math. I'm so bad at numbers. And they do say that baking is like science. Anyway, <laughs> so Ellie is out here looking down at her report card and she could feel the tears trying to make their way to her cheeks. She fought them back as hard as she could because she was still in class. She couldn't cry. No, not in class. She had to bottle it up. Ellie was the type of girl that never showed any true emotions in school. She was the one that was put together all the time, the smart, pretty girl that had it all. She had to keep it that way. Now, it was January. So there's no need to panic. She's got a few months until finals and her grade would be cemented in stone. She needed to do something about it though. So she would be at the top of the class again. Ellie rushes home, slams the door shut, throws on her backpack and is like, mom, mom, my math teacher is shit. Just so shit. I hate him. Now, just to preface, he wasn't actually shit and she didn't actually hate him, but Ellie was a dramatic one. Kind of like me. <laughs> now, into this mixer, we are going to add, with the egg whites, we're gonna throw in the lemon juice, as well as the sugar. I'll be back in a second. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Back to the story we go with our little stiff peaks. Now, I just wanna say, the math teacher actually wasn't that bad, and I don't think that Ellie actually hated him. She was just very dramatic. But Laurel, knowing this, she decides to entertain her daughter. She says, well, what, what happened? What happened at school? My math teacher is so bad. I'm literally gonna fail my finals. I need a tutor ASAP. Like, I really, really, really need a tutor. Now, Ellie dramatically plops herself onto the kitchen chair and Laurel is looking at her like, is this girl serious? She does not need a tutor and nor can we afford one. Ellie, we can't afford a tutor. So one fourth and then we're going to mix, like fold it. And now I pour fold. it into the egg whites and I fold, okay? I'm gonna be really quick with this. My money don't. Jiggle, jiggle, it folds. Oof. And then you wanna pour it in there and then you gotta bake it. Go ahead, even pour it out on there for even layer. Oh, that's good. Hold on, let me get that all is the good. batter. And then you want to bake it Ooh. for 25 minutes. Ooh. 
And Laurel tells Ellie, like, we can't afford a tutor. Why don't you just join the after-school math club or something? And she's upset, like, but mom, Christy and Kyle are from my class, and they're way poorer than us, and they get private tutors. Why can't I get a private tutor? Please, please, I will take some money out of my allowance to help pay for it, please. Ellie, why don't you just ask another student or something, someone from school that'll do it for a lot cheaper and a slice of cake? Are you kidding, Mom? There is no way you're for real right now. That would be fucking embarrassing. You don't even understand. Is private tutor cool? I kind of, yeah. Oh, I guess that? so, but you don't actually want a private tutor because like they're so annoying. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and so with that, Laurel finally caves and she gets Ellie a private math tutor for a couple of months. Ellie spent all of her time studying, getting her grades up, and finally she felt ready to take on finals and she tells her mom Laurel, hey, I think we can stop the tutoring. I'm doing great now. And Laurel honestly felt like she could finally take a breath. Her family budget has been feeling so much pressure for the past couple of months because of this private tutor. So without even any question, Laurel's like, you got it, dude. I'm getting rid of this freaking tutor. And Ellie proceeds to study without her tutor for the next few weeks. It almost became routine for her to visit the local library. Now, for example, okay, for, to put it into context, Ellie's older sister, Hannah, is the middle child. And the middle child would always invite her friends over. And Ellie could not focus around these kids. They were so freaking loud. They didn't even study. They were screaming all over the place. So every single Thursday, like clockwork, Ellie would pack up her little backpack, a few books, some essentials, and she would head to the door. Hey, Mom, I'm going to the library. I'll be back before lunch. Is there any lasagna left? Uh, yes, sweetie, I think there's enough for one. I, I'll, I'll keep it in the fridge. Okay, well, don't let Hannah eat it. You promise? So Laurel promises her golden child the golden last slice of lasagna. And with that, Ellie walked out the door and was gone forever. For the next few hours, Laurel was kind of in bliss. She had no idea that the panic and the doom and the anxiety that was about to ascend upon her whole being, I mean, she barely noticed that her daughter was gone. I mean, they're teenagers. They go out all the freaking time. Now, Laurel's time flies by. She's busy running errands, tending to her husband. But when lunchtime comes around, she notices Ellie is still not back. Has anybody seen Ellie? Hello? Ellie's dad and Laurel's husband, Paul, he says, Oh, maybe she's at Theo's, sweetie. Um, no, I don't think so. I don't think she'd be hanging out with Theo this close to finals. Well, I guess I'll just call them just in case. So she calls up the Goodmans, Theo's family. And just as she suspected, okay, I'm telling you, moms know this shit, Ellie was not there. Now at this point, time starts moving really slow and fast all at once. Laurel's ears are ringing, they feel hot. Her heart is squeezing so tight. And with every phone call that she makes, Hiya, this is Laurel, Ellie's mom. Just wondering if Laurel, uh, Ellie's over there. No, okay, thanks. And she would hang up in another one. And finally, she decided she had to call the police. Now, this is where it only spirals. Laurel could not believe that this was her life. Like this is happening to her right now. Not her, Ellie. Anyone but Ellie. That's what she's thinking. The night of Ellie's disappearance, the family had been talking to the police the whole day, and they had been outside screaming Ellie's name at the top of their lungs. And by the time that they get home, Hannah looks at her mom and says, Mom, I'm kind of hungry. And she looks at the time and says, Oh, yeah, it's eight. Sorry, you must be starving. And together they open up the fridge. And Hannah says, Oh, I'll just eat this. And she grabs the tubware of lasagna the last portion. 
and all of Ellie's last words start flooding back to Laurel and she rips it out of Hannah's little hands and says, no. Why not? Just, just no. So Laurel makes her some toast instead and sits to watch her daughter eat. Hannah, her middle child, the difficult one, the exhausting one, the tiring one, the one that's always caused trouble. This reminds me of the TikTok you showed me. Oh my god, it's a dad who's making fun of middle child. And he says, this is what I feed my first child. It's like a five-course meal. This is what I feed my youngest child. It's a five-course meal. And this is what I feed my young middle child. One fucking tangerine for lunch, okay? <laughs> it's not that Laurel didn't love her daughter Hannah. I mean, of course she did. It's her freaking child. She just did not love Hannah as much as she loved Ellie. Ellie was the effortless child, and Hannah was constantly draining Laurel's mental energy. So, of course, I mean, in that moment, a sick, twisted thought came to Laurel's mind subconsciously, almost like an intrusive thought, you know? She couldn't stop it, but the thought was, it should have been you that's missing. And it should be Ellie eating toast right now. Say. And yeah, I know. You hate Laurel right now. I hated her too. But that's just how she felt. Those were her thoughts. But the more that Laurel waited, pacing the room for good news, I mean, the more bad news she was getting. CCTV footage from the library confirmed that Ellie never made it to the library. Somewhere along the way on Ellie's walk to the library, something happened. Like something bad. The police did a sweep of the immediate area and they started interviewing all the local sex offenders. I mean, can you imagine? Your 15-year-old child goes missing and the police are interviewing sex offenders? I get it, it makes sense. I'm glad they're doing it. But the conclusions that my brain would inevitably jump to in that moment, it's just not good. And the police say, ma'am, could you please tell us what your daughter was wearing that day? Um, a black shirt and pants and her hair was up in a ponytail. And Laurel could feel the tears pooling in her eyes. Cause she's telling them she was wearing a black shirt and black pants and hair up in a ponytail. There was absolutely no defining features in Ellie's appearance that day. There was no bright rainbow colored shirt. There was no crazy pink skirt, nothing. Like she had virtually been invisible, not noticeable. If someone had walked past her, they wouldn't even know. Nothing was recognizable. So the CCTV camera caught the last sighting of Ellie around 10.43 that morning. She had stopped in front of a parked car and looked into the window. Now, the original theory was that she was checking her reflection, but soon came the sinister theory that someone inside the car was trying to talk to her, so she had gotten up close to the window, and maybe they had communicated something. They couldn't, see actually, they couldn't actually see inside the car, so they actually tracked down the owner of the car. Now, the guy had been out of town, and his car had been parked there four days on end without ever being moved. Nobody was in the car. Now, that lead was dead, and for days, and weeks and months, they dragged on and there were no good leads. There was no signs of Ellie, no signs of anything. I mean, the police were getting so frustrated at this point that they had no answers for the family, so they gave them the only answer that they always give. Hit it. She ran away. Ma'am, I think your daughter simply ran away. You know, we knew that she was a bit of an overachiever. We talked to the schools, exams were coming up. We think that she was so stressed and it was too much for her. The idea of failing her finals, I mean, she skipped town. What are you saying? Well, then did you check the cameras at the train stations or, or the bus stops? Or mm -hmm. did you find her walking down any other roads apart from the one near the library? No, but that's not the point. 
So Laurel, I mean, would always be labeled as this mom in denial, and the police must have some clue if they're gonna say that, right? The police must know what they're talking about, right? So with that, the police didn't necessarily close Ellie's case, but they essentially squeezed the living life out of it. Like they were not putting any more resources, any more officers onto the case. The investigation had been officially downsized. And Laurel was freaking heartbroken. She was disgusted by the reaction that her husband, Ellie's father, gave. This is Ellie's biological dad, and he just says, At least it's some kind of closure, I guess. <laughs> yeah. What? That was the moment that their marriage really started falling apart, like... Like, they didn't get divorced in that exact second, in that exact moment, but like, it was the ultimate direction. How do you come back from something like that? To Laurel, it was just... Everybody was moving on but her. Everybody. Jake, the oldest kid, the firstborn, he went on to graduate from university, moved in with his girlfriend, and the middle child, Hannah, she graduated, moved out, got a corporate job. And the husband, Paul, he all he wanted to talk about was getting promoted at work, buying new suits. Oh, we should upgrade our car. Let's plan a vacation one day. What? Laurel could care less about anything. Like, that, that's so dumb. Why, what are you even saying? I mean, obviously, it's not like Laurel's family was heartless. They were all really shaken up by Ellie's disappearance. But I think that they are all just trying to move on in their own way. Mm-hmm. Laurel seemed like the only one that could not live in this new reality. She started falling apart. She stopped cooking, stopped cleaning. She became emotionally unavailable to her husband, to her kids. She stopped being a mom, a wife, just a functioning human being. It's understandable, honestly. But that is when Paul and Laurel decide to get divorced. Laurel gets the house, and she tries to stay as long as she can, just in case Ellie comes back. But after four long years, I mean, the money, the funds, the upkeep, it was just too much. Just the emptiness alone. Imagine having a family home with all these people bustling about, and then suddenly it's just you. So she sells the house and she starts renting a small apartment in the suburbs. She gets a job working at a marketing firm and Laurel never really let herself go. Whatever the fuck that means, okay? And nobody would blame her if she did. So I guess that's just saying nobody would blame her if she was delusional on the side of the road with her hair crazy, never washing her clothes or showering, right? But she never did that. She was still very clean. Like, she still kept up with appearances. If you passed her, you would never know that something traumatic had happened to her years ago. She just lived her life as an empty shell, though. Her apartment was nice, it was clean, it was furnished well, but there was, like, no personal touch. It it was giving Airbnb vibes if you walked in. There was no... I mean, okay, right at the entrance, she did have her family photos, but that was it. Like, she could have just put them in her purse, and that's it. Laurel did not see the point in decorating, just like anything else. She didn't see the point in anything. She was living her life on autopilot. She would get up, go to work, come home, eat, sleep, repeat, and she did visit her sick mom at the hospital once a week. She would also go to Hannah's city apartment to help her, you know, kind of clean since, you know, she's busy. Hannah would also always leave money on the table for Laurel, and Laurel would save every single penny of that. She just hoped that she could spend it on her future grandkids one day. Not that any of her kids were expecting anytime soon. So this is where the judgment time comes. Laurel hated her son, Jake's girlfriend, the one that he had moved in with. Her name was Blue, and Laurel felt like she was just controlling and manipulative. She was trying to push Jake away from his family. That's how Laurel felt. And Hannah, well, she had no life. No offense. Okay, no offense, no offense. But that's what Laurel thought. She's not a social butterfly like Ellie was. She's just kind of a loser. 
What a mom. What a mom, okay? She only care about the little dog. Yeah. Diana. Like, she's thinking Hannah probably doesn't even have a boyfriend after college. Ugh. Like, ugh. Until she came over one week. And she sees these giant bouquet of flowers in Hannah's apartment. And she's like, what the fuck? I'm definitely going to read the note. She snatches the little note out of the flowers. And the card was signed, Love T. So Laurel immediately picks up her phone and is like, Hannah, are you at work? What? Yeah, mom, why are you calling me? Did something happen? Do you have a boyfriend? What? No, what's wrong with you? Mom, I'm at work. Well, who gave you these flowers I see on your desk? Just a friend. Jeez, mom, I have to go. And she hangs up. And that, that was the wildest thing going on in Laurel's life, okay? This was like the drama of her life right now. She just was really living an empty life. Ellie had been missing for seven years. Everybody else had moved on. And Laurel was just trying to find out if her full-grown daughter had a boyfriend or not. Maybe Laurel could use some peace. But she wouldn't get it. Because she got a call. Hi, uh, Mrs. Mack. Do you mind coming down to the police station? And immediately, it's like she was transported back to that time. Laurel starts feeling the the panic, the adrenaline, they were all flooding back into her system. It's, it's like all the time has passed, but no time has passed all at the same time. I mean, it doesn't make sense. So the police tell her, we've been investigating a site near Dover. A dog walker called us and um, his dog dug, dug up a bag. It was in the dense part of the woods. Oh, okay. That's great. It's, it's a bag. Uh, it's a bag. I mean, it's bad. Don't get me wrong, but it's a bag. It's not a body. It's, it's a bag. It's Ellie's back. Her backpack that she took with her the day that she went missing. We also found her clothes from that day. Her black shirt and a pair of jeans. White sneakers and her sweater that she packed. Um, inside the bag we found some household items. Her old house key, a textbook, a pencil case, some tampons. We don't really think we want to show you the tampons because they were swollen from the damp moisture of the woods and they just look obscene. But there's more, Laurel. We found a small laptop and a passport. It's not Ellie's passport, but did you know that your daughter Hannah was missing a passport? What? So we have a theory, Laurel. Our theory is that she may have been on her way to Europe. Now this is in the UK, right? So Europe is not as far as is in the US. Given the passport and um, wait, wait, what? You, you think that she tried to run away? But her bag with the things that she had, that's not a runaway go bag. You just said that she had some clothes, textbooks, and a tampon. That doesn't make sense. Even a 15-year-old, if they're trying to run away, they'll pack a lot of stuff. Ma'am, we've analyzed the evidence, the clothing, and um, there's evidence of intense wear on the clothes. So she did run away from home, and she was alive. That is our theory. Okay, well, then if she ran away from home, where is she now? We're still looking for her. And Laurel's mind starts racing. She tries to think of anything that could help, like anything at all. And she's standing there and she's saying, Oh, um, a few years ago, right after Ellie was missing, my home was burglarized. It was weird, really weird, because um, there was no signs of forced entry. It looked like someone had a key to the house or something, and nothing was ransacked. The thief took some weird things, an old laptop, some of Ellie's cash, an old cell phone of Paul's, and some, um, some Art Deco silver candlesticks that we got at our wedding, me and my husband, well, my ex-husband, at our wedding, oh god, decades ago, and... They're from like a rich couple that we're not even friends with anymore. Oh, and my daughter Hannah had baked a cake and that was gone. I just, isn't that weird? I thought it was Ellie. 
all those years ago, coming back. She didn't take anything of value that was in plain sight like my jewelry. Instead, she took an old computer and some of her own cash, like no credit cards. I feel like I felt her. I feel like that was her. I mean, she had a key, which is the one that you found in her bag. So it must have been her, right? So if she was in the house just a few years ago, then there's still a chance that she's out there. That's what that means, right? That means she's not in Europe. That means she's probably nearby. Laurel realized that she was talking to herself in the interview with the police. Paul was sitting there just looking at the ground. The police were just looking at, everyone was treating her like the crazy mom, honestly. And she knew that she was the odd one out. Everyone moved on really quickly. Paul even moved on shortly after the divorce and he had a freaking new girlfriend, just like that. And here was Laurel, seven years later, life on pause, working a stupid job, filling her days with mundane activities just so she doesn't, I don't know, die. But she was dead inside. I guess the police felt bad enough for Laurel. And on the 10-year anniversary of Ellie's disappearance, they organized a very public appeal. And it was like, pretty much, please, we need any witnesses to come forward with any information on the disappearance. Laurel and Paul came together to do interviews. The editors threw in clips and videos of Ellie living her best life before she vanished. But nobody came forward. Laurel didn't even know if she had any hope left. So the summer comes and goes, and then something terrible happened. Laurel got another call from the police. This was the worst news possible. They had found a body. Well, some of it. Ellie's remains were found in the woods near her backpack. That was found just a few years earlier, and the police believed Ellie had been hit by a car. Her broken body was dragged into the woods, buried in a shallow grave. So she had run away and someone had hit and run, essentially. So they buried her in the woods. And for years, animals and the environment took a toll on her and just like scattered the bones throughout. All the police that found were her parts of her skull, her femurs, and her tibias. But at least the family could bury her, right? How did they know it's her? I believe some sort of DNA test. It was a super public funeral. I mean, this was a well-known case in town. Everyone showed up to show their support. Laurel had no idea that someone very special was watching her from the very back row, blending in with the crowd. That someone had noticed her during her interviews, pleading for information about her missing daughter. Someone that wanted to get to know her better. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer. And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places. Selling a little or a lot. 
Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odysseypodcast, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash odysseypodcast now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash odysseypodcast. A month after the funeral, Laurel was shocked that she was still functioning. She didn't even know that she could be like this. She even scheduled a haircut. She chopped off a bunch of her hair. She wanted to go shoulder length, feel lighter. And you know what? Let's do a blowout. Why not? Now, side note, Laurel was very attractive. She was 54 years old, and even though she was grieving, she did put effort into making herself look put together, right? At least appearance-wise. Now, back to the story. Laurel leaves her hair appointment and goes to a nearby coffee shop. She's hungry. She orders a grilled cheese and a decaf cappuccino. She eats her sandwich in peace. And as she's about done, she notices a man walk into the coffee shop. Listen, she notices because the place is like empty. And well, yeah, he was hot, he was handsome, he was nicely dressed, <laughs> and he was wearing these like tortoise shell glasses. He just looked so artsy, like a like an artist or something, maybe, maybe an architect. The guy kind of even dressed like Paul, her ex-husband. I don't know, both of them kind of just gave off that professor vibe or something. I guess Laurel has a type, because she thought that this guy was cute. She watched him. He ordered a little carrot cake and a black coffee and sat at the table directly next to Laurel's. This is like a pick your own table type of situation and the whole place was empty and he sits right next to Laurel and she's like, okay, what's going on? She hadn't been this physically close to an attractive guy in so long, she didn't even know how to react. She chugged her cappuccino and she's like, gotta get up, gotta go now, right? And she hears his voice. You have beautiful hair. Oh, what a creep. Oh, uh, oh, really pretty. Thank you, I just had it done. It doesn't normally look this good. Mm, well, it looks good. You ever had this carrot cake before? Nope, just had a grilled cheese. Pretty amazing. Would you like to try some? <laughs> Open your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Let me airplane. <laughs> um, no, no, thank you. I uh, gotta go. <laughs> I have a clean spoon right here. Come on, I'm never gonna finish this. And this is how Laurel meets Floyd. She sits down, she takes a nibble of the carrot cake. She's like, what's your accent? Oh gosh, I suddenly have an accent. 
<laughs> she said, oh, he, he, Floyd says, oh gosh, what is it my accent? My parents were very ambitious Americans who chased jobs and money all throughout the world. Four years in the U.S., two in Canada, uh, another four in the U.S., and then four in Germany, a year in Singapore, and then three in the U.K. And my parents, they went back to the States, but I stayed. Oh, so have you been here a long time? Which, by the way, side note, like, I deserve an award for not doing the British accent for the entirety of this video. I'm just saying. <laughs> it's like right here. It's about to come out. <laughs> 37 years! <laughs> I have a British passport, British children, and a British ex-wife. I am fully assimilated. <laughs> so Laurel starts laughing, but she stops abruptly. She's like, hello, Laurel, Earth to Laura. What the fuck is going on here? You're sitting in a cafe giggling with some guy that you just met that you think is cute. Shouldn't you feel a little guilty or something? Like, is, am I moving on right now? This is crazy. So he asks her, do you live around here? No, I used to. I moved a few years ago into the suburbs, but my hairdresser is here. Total phobia of letting anybody else touch my hair. So I come here every single month. <laughs> It was nice meeting you though, I better get going. Oh, you have to leave? Yeah, I'm gonna actually go see my daughter. That was a complete lie. Laurel never saw Hannah. Hannah actually didn't like her mom that much. Oh, you have a daughter? Yes, and a son. I have two girls too. One's 21, the other one is nine. Do, do they live with you? The nine-year-old does, the 21-year-old lives with her mom, and it's, um, it's complicated. And with that, Floyd tore off the corner from the newspaper on the table and he scribbled his number on there and passed it to Laurel. He says, I really enjoyed talking to you, but it hasn't been that long. I'd like to take you out to dinner if you'll call me. <laughs> that was a good one. Why don't you use that one on me? What do you mean that's a good one? That's a good one. That's what a good pick of, of mine. Like, I'd like to take you out for dinner. Okay. <laughs> So Laurel, she's shocked. She was baffled, honestly. I mean, it was just so unexpected. After all these years, she had never felt something for a guy until this very second. And a few days later, it's like her hands had a mind of their own. She found herself beep, 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 boop, bop, dialing up Floyd and setting up a date. Now, very quickly, the excitement goes out the door and just sheer anxiety creeps in. Laurel had not been on a date in decades. I mean, she had not been on a date with her husband, Paul, when they were together, but she had been separated from him for like a decade. I mean, it's been forever. She didn't even know what to wear, how to act, how to talk. So that night, Laurel picks up Ellie's photo and tells her, I'm going on a date, Ellie, with a nice man. His name is Floyd. I think you would like him. And Laurel could almost hear her daughter replying in her little bubbly voice, that's awesome, mom, just have fun. <laughs> Happy for you. <laughs> this is the bowl that I'm gonna be using. Listen, nobody promised organization. Feel it? Wow, okay. Let's see the color. Wow, wow. that's nice. That is really nice. Very nice. Okay, Beautiful. so now you're gonna peel your tangerines. These tangerines are gonna be the end of this recipe. They don't feel good. And Laurel did have fun. He took her to this really nice, fancy restaurant. It wasn't super fancy where she would suddenly feel very uncomfortable, but it was, it was elegant. And he was already there when she got there. She got there two minutes late. He was on time. <laughs> oh, gotta love it when people are on time. I'm never on time though, so. <laughs> 
she had an absolute freaking blast. He was complimenting her the whole time, telling her that she looks elegant. He even asked her, do you like spicy food? She says, of course I do. Oh, thank God. I only really like people who like spicy food, so that would have been awkward. And the two of them start chit-chatting. Floyd, he's a smooth talker. He says, he says, tell me about your kids. Um, well, Jake is 29 and Hannah is 27. And she did not get into the conversation about Ellie. He says, oh my God, you do not look old enough to have kids that age. I thought maybe teenagers at the most. That is insane. You, I had you at like 40 something. You look great. And she's like, oh, thank you. Well, tell me about your kids. Well, the oldest is 21. She's Sarah Jade. I wanted to call her Sarah Jane and my ex-wife wanted to call her Jade. So it's a pretty simple compromise. I call her Sarah, my ex calls her Jade, and uh, she calls herself Sarah, she calls herself SJ. She's a bit um, unusual though. Uh, I guess, I don't know how to describe it. I guess you would just have to meet her. I had her with Kate, my ex-wife, and when we got divorced, we had shared custody. So these days, SJ is mainly doing weekends with me and the weekdays with her mom. And what about your other daughter? What was her name? Oh, Poppy. And Laurel could see that his face changed. When he talked about SJ, he was just kind of like, oh man, I don't know what's wrong with this girl. But when he talked about Poppy, he's like, Poppy is my jam. Poppy is the best kid alive. She's fantastic. So we're going to make a quick little whipping mixture. I didn't know this, but all you really need is heavy whipping cream and some sugar. One cup heavy whipping cream. Oof. Then two tablespoons of the sugar. And then a quick whipping. A little quick BDSM session and you are ready to go. Your cream is gonna be creamy. Honey, <laughs> <laughs> come on. Come on, they're two holes for a reason. Listen, accidents happen and you should know that. Sorry, that was really gross. Now the question is. Oh yeah, oh. that's good. Okay, first of all, you know how, to, how they place the orange and how they roll? No, 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 no. Like, mm, wrong side, wrong side. Okay, I'm just gonna pour all of it on here. Okay, I'm placing the tangerines. You don't understand, there is so much stress in this. Oh boy. Oh boy. It's breaking. It's breaking. <laughs> and then you wanna put it into the fridge for an hour. And that's it, that's your beautiful creation, babe. Thank Do you think you. you succeeded or no? I think so. I mean, I guess we don't know until, until we try it. So I'm assuming it's gonna taste wow. something like this, but cold, right? So let's Wait. try. Okay. That's not good, huh? Come on. What? It's pretty good. Cake, whipped cream, and tangerine. That's pretty good. The cake is so good. Mmm. Mm. Wow. Well, that's pretty good. I'm kind of shocked. Mmm. Holy moly. Oh, I could eat this all day. Wow. Laurel could see Floyd's face light up whenever he talked about Poppy. He would say, Poppy is amazing, you know? She's insanely bright at math, has the driest, wickedest sense of humor. I mean, she takes no shit from anybody. She really keeps me on my toes. Reminds me that I'm not the end-all, be-all. Like, she will wipe the floor with me. And in all respects. Now, the two, they don't have the same mother. Poppy's mom was... 
a casual relationship that kind of ran its course, if you see what I mean. Poppy wasn't planned, far from it. We did try for a while to be a normal couple, but we never really quite managed to pull it off. And when Poppy was four, she vanished. And Laurel nearly choked on her food. Did he just say vanished? Vanished? Yeah, um, dumped Poppy on my doorstep, cleared out her bank account, abandoned her house, her job, never to be seen again. What do you think happened to her? Uh, to Poppy's mom? Christ, I have no idea. She was a strange woman. She could have ended up literally anywhere. Do you ever think she's dead? And in that moment, Laurel realized how dark of a question that was. She saw Floyd's face change, and he said, Oh, um, who knows? I guess, you know? Listen, other than this very awkward conversation, the rest of their date was fantastic. And when Floyd asked her out on another date, Laurel agreed, pretty eagerly. They went to another local restaurant that Laurel had been dying to try. But her ex, remember Paul? He never wanted to go because it had a three-star health rating slapped on the front door. And he was like, that's nasty. But she wanted to try it. So she says, hey, you know, they have a three-star health rating, right? Floyd says, well, hygiene, smygene. I've never had a dodgy tummy after eating here, and I've been coming here for years. These people, they know what they're doing. And just like that, Floyd and Laurel had another amazing date. Floyd opened up about himself, and he had a pretty interesting but kind of sad childhood. His parents were incredibly young when they had him, just 14 and 16 years old when he was born. They were so scared. They were holding this baby in their arms. They have not even the slightest idea of how to raise a baby. So what do they do? They sneak off into the middle of the night and plop him in front of an orphanage and run out on the doorstep of an orphanage. But a few days later, his parents changed their mind. They decided, you know what, I do want my baby back. But of course, the system is not just gonna give them their kids back. First of all, they were way too young. They had already abandoned Floyd once. I mean, it took Floyd's parents years of working hard, being able to prove that they can financially provide for that child, advancing in their careers to be able to get custody of Floyd back. And with everything they learned, they remained incredibly motivated motivated, disciplined, and they just kind of threw themselves into their careers. They started making good money and even traveled the world as a family. Listen, Floyd's parents weren't bad people, kind of, you know, like they weren't bad people, but they just weren't good parents. Maybe they were too young. Their version of disciplining their child was crouching down to Floyd's eye level and saying, hey, uh, hey, look at me. Yeah, you keep that shit up and we're going to drop you right back off at the orphanage. You want to go back there? I don't think so. Shut it. And he would. <laughs> and also another thing was that they really only just gave him money. They didn't show him, you know, warmth or parental love. They just threw money at him whenever he needed anything. They were emotionally unavailable. And with all of that moving around, it didn't help Floyd because he doesn't even have any emotional attachments to anyone. He was so lonely. But in the end, it kind of worked out because he got a hefty inheritance. His parents were loaded. <laughs> So Floyd used it to invest in real estate like his parents had told him and he starts writing his little books on the side. The guy's an author and he doesn't just write regular books. The guy writes math books. What? Sounds like he writes textbooks, right? I mean, somebody's got to write them. No, I'm kidding. He doesn't write textbooks. He wrote a book called Bad at Math, but it was less of a textbook and more of a funny comedy math book, which... What the f yeah, that doesn't exist. What are you saying? Only math people would think math is funny. Math is fascinating. But it's not funny. I've never like be. been looking at a problem and been, uh, uh, uh. 
<laughs> math is oh, fine. Oh what? Math is fine. You know Olympia? No, but it's like the Math Olympics. Oh yeah, I love that. Shit. That was the course I take. Oh, so fun. Well, now you know who's the fun part of the duo. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm kidding. So he had this math book of analogies of life and math, and the book did pretty well amongst math folks. I'm sure my fiance has like a hundred copies somewhere hiding around. And Floyd even did some book signings around the United Kingdom, which was a moment of fame for him. And then he met Poppy's mom. That's how he met Poppy. And then had Poppy, and she vanished. She left him as a full-time single dad. Anyway, all of this comes up during the second date, and Laurel is moved. I think that she was, originally she thought that she was dealing with just a hot guy, but now she realizes she's dealing with someone that has a lot of life experience and has a lot of ups and downs and has had a lot of pain in his life too. So it's not like they're gonna be so unrelatable. Now, at the end of the date, Floyd's like, why don't you come on over to my house? We can. You know, do what the what do you what do you call it? Make a ninety degree in my bed. Wait, no. <laughs> Make a one eighty in my bed. No, you can do a three sixty on this day. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. So she's like, yes. <laughs> and she was so shocked to see how similar Floyd's house was to her old family house. It was a Victorian style home with these Dutch gables. Small little balcony over the front porch. The entrance had a tiled hallway. The wide staircase. The banister that ended with a swirl. I mean, it's just like her old house. And when they turned the corner, Laurel saw SJ, Floyd's oldest daughter, sitting in the living room. Now, SJ was a petite, frail-looking 21-year-old. Her face looked permanently nervous, and her hair was almost so blonde, it looked white. Laurel, this is my daughter SJ. SJ, this is, um, Laurel. Oh, hi, nice to meet you, SJ. Your house is lovely. And Laurel comments to Floyd, hey, like your house really looks like my old family home. It's almost identical. And he shuffles around a bit and he looks a little bit nervous. And he just blurts out the weirdest comment to make in a moment like this. I know about Ellie. Who said this? Floyd. What? And Laurel is clearly taken aback. I mean, she kind of figured that he would have known because it was, it was such a high-profile case. And when you start dating someone, you do Google them and stuff. But Laurel's face was everywhere. She did interviews. She had posters. It still caught her by surprise. Sorry, that was... But you knew that I knew, right, didn't you? Yeah, I, I mean, I guess it occurred to me. I, I would have said something sooner, and I was on the verge of talking about Ellie, but I just, I didn't think it was first date type of small talk. I'm an idiot. I should have just waited for you to tell me when you were ready. Yeah, no shit, Einstein, you didn't think? So Laurel's like, no, no, it's fine. Um, I'm ready to talk about it. And they did. They talked about it for hours. It was 1 a.m. by the time that Laurel and Floyd were done talking. SJ had already left to go out with friends, and Poppy, Floyd's nine-year-old daughter, was asleep. So around 1 a.m. after this heart-to-heart -heart opening up about Ellie, Floyd leads Laurel upstairs. Yeah, and he, he gives her the right angle, you know? They make a a perpendicular, then they were at one point going parallel. Oh my God, at one point they were doing this weird one. It looked like a hexagon, you know what I mean? It and was at, all in the book? It was all in the book. And at one point it was like squared. Wow. Yeah, uh-huh. And so then- it's a must read. <laughs> afterwards they had some pies. 
There you have it, Laurel gets laid, and apparently it was the best sex of her life. And you would think, after such a strong bonding moment, the best sex of her life, Laurel would wake up in the morning to the smell of pancakes or to Floyd cuddling her, right? No, she opens her eyes, she's alone in Floyd's bed, and the first thing that she sees is a little girl hovering over her, staring <laughs> directly at her, and Floyd is nowhere to be found. The little girl says, good morning. Are you Laurel? Yes, I'm Laurel, and you're Poppy, I'm assuming? Yes, I'm Poppy. And she smiles, and she's got this crooked teeth and these little small dimples on her left cheek, and Laurel suddenly feels faint. She feels like she's staring at this little girl, and it feels like her breath is being knocked out of her, taken straight out of her. She doesn't want to say it, but the dimple, the forehead, the heavy lidded eyes, the cocking of the head while she's speaking. Poppy is the spinning image of Ellie at just nine years old. And her mind is blown. Listen, Laurel is used to seeing girls that somewhat look like Ellie all the time, especially when she was first, um, when Ellie had first disappeared. It would get to the point where Laurel would even chase a few down the streets, Ellie, and then grab them by the shoulder and they would whip around like the people in the movies and she'd be like, oh, sorry, I thought you were someone else. And each time her breathing would get fast and she would get these butterflies. But this, this, it was never like this. Staring up at Poppy, the resemblance was insane. And she smiles down at Laurel. Anything I can get you? A tea? A coffee? And Laurel's even more confused. Why is this little nine-year-old talking to her like an adult? Mm -hmm. Why is she being the perfect hostess? What is going on? Um, yeah, a coffee, please, if that's okay. Dad said you were really pretty. And you are. Listen, this is the slickest little nine-year-old. I bet Floyd paid her for that. <laughs> but other than that, there is something wrong with Poppy. She's wearing this blue dress with these navy tights and these navy leather pumps and her hair is tied back with these two red bow clips and I mean the whole fit was just super formal. It was just, I mean this is the first thing that this little nine-year-old put on first thing in the morning. This looked like a normal kid's Sunday best. Not even a normal Sunday best, but it was like an Easter outfit. Why is she dressed so formal? Laura would soon find out that that was Poppy's style. She always wore clothes that just felt too formal. And for some reason, maybe it's because she's nine, it just added a touch of unsettlingness to Poppy. But honestly, it could have just been a result of Floyd being a single dad. It felt like he took her to whatever bougie children's store there was and bought the entire outfit that was on the display. <laughs> like on the mannequin, okay? Um, no school today, Poppy? Oh, no school any day. I don't go to school, dad teaches me. Oh, has he always taught you? Yeah, always. You know I could read full chapter books by the time I was three, and I did simple algebra at four. There was no normal school that could really cope with me anyway. What? And even the way Poppy laughed was not in like a childlike way. How is that possible? Yeah, but rather like a young woman. It was weird. Can I interest you in some granola and yogurt maybe? A slice of toast? And Laurel is sitting there like, what the f***? And Floyd walks into the room and he seems delighted to see that the two have met. And Poppy scoots out getting the hint and Floyd eagerly sits on the edge of the bed. Well, what do you think? What do you think of my Poppy? Isn't she magnificent? Laurel gives a weak smile. The whole situation just felt odd. Just strange. She couldn't really put her finger on it. Like, what is making me feel this way? But it was, it was weird. 
Don't worry, Laurel. It's only gonna get weirder. The couple decide to part for the day, and they arrange to meet the next day at Laurel's apartment for a date. And she was so nervous. It had been so long since she had guests over. She made a huge fuss of cleaning the entire place, cooking. She bought way too many ingredients. She got a variety of desserts because she couldn't just choose one. And as she's prepping, her phone dings on the counter. She wipes her hands on the apron, makes her way over. It's Floyd Mayweather. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, wow, love triangle. <laughs> it's a text message. And he says, disaster. SJ bailed on us to babysit. I can either come with Poppy or we can reschedule. Your call. So sorry. I was like, okay, breathe. I mean, she's annoyed. Can we blame her? She even changed the bed sheets for this. She was ready to, you know. <laughs> but I guess, I guess, if she's being optimistic, she would like to get to know Poppy a little bit better. She was a weird kid, and like I said, she looked just like Ellie. The resemblance was creepy. So she invites Poppy and Floyd to come over that night. Poppy's wearing a knee-length black velvet dress with red shoes. And again, it's this uneasiness when a nine-year-old is not looking like a nine-year-old. Well, Poppy, don't you look fancy? Please come in. And uh, both of them, their eyes immediately go to the family photos at the front door. And you know how kids are. They say the damnest things. They say things that adults would never say. Sometimes I think kids say shit that their adult told them to say. Because Poppy goes in for the kill. And she says, do you have any pictures of your ex-husband? My ex-husband? Um, no, not on display. But I'm sure I have them somewhere if I can find one. What's his name? Paul. <laughs> What's he like? Laurel smiles. She looks at Floyd. Like, hello, help me. Your daughter's like a little bee. Come on, get her. And he's looking at her like, yeah, answer the question. What's he like? <laughs> She's like, okay, this guy is not going to save me. Um, he is lovely, actually. Really nice man. Very gentle, very kind. Then why'd you guys break up? Bro, you got to like have some skills dealing with kids. I just tell them, shut up or you're getting kicked out right now kicked out right now on yeah. the street i'll call you an uber yeah like... come on get out of here well we changed we wanted different things and the children grew up left the house and we realized that we didn't want to spend the rest of our lives together well did he marry someone else <laughs> damn <laughs> not quite uh, but he does have a girlfriend and they do live together oh is she nice do you like her i've never met her but my children say that she's very sweet Finally, Poppy seems satisfied. Listen, I know she's nine and we shouldn't judge, but why is her vibe so weird? Like, why is she so intense and she's not picking up these social cues? Laurel pours herself and Floyd a glass of wine because I don't know about him, but Laurel needs it after this interrogation. And Floyd's like, do you have an extra glass? <laughs> no way. Hmm? For what? Do you need, do you don't like the wine? Do you want a different one? Oh, it's for Poppy. Oh, sorry, I didn't think, um, I, I guess it's the French way, right? Um, yeah, I'll grab it. No, no, it's just, um, I let her have only champagne and only a sip or two on very special occasions. So, there you go. A nine-year-old that interrogates like she's on the next season of Mindhunters, dresses like a rich 20-something-year-old, and talks like a middle-aged adult that's seen some shit and drinks more than I do, apparently. So, of course, Laurel thinks Poppy is weird, but almost out of this curiosity, right? So she says, so, Poppy, tell me about homeschooling. How does it work? Just like real school, I sit and learn, and then when I've learned, I relax. Well, don't you ever get lonely? Don't you wish you had kids your own age to hang out with? Oh, no. No, never, never, never. Floyd says, my Poppy is basically 40 years old. You know how you get to 40 and you suddenly stop giving a sh 
about all those stupid things that you were worried about your whole life? Well, Poppy's already there. Yeah, when I'm with kids my own age, I tend to roll my eyes a lot and I look at them like they've lost their minds, which really doesn't go over well with them. They think I'm a bitch, but whatever. So Poppy shrugs and takes a big chug of champagne. Listen, I would be terrified if a kid like this or any kid really was sitting across from me. And it, this is given like some type of orphan, you know, the yeah, movie? Yeah, yeah, that's what it's giving, horror movie vibes. It better not be another war orphan. Well, we don't know. But either <laughs> it's the maternal aspect that's lacking or I don't know, right? Laurel just can't help but feel connected to Poppy. Maybe it's because she looks like Ellie. Now, Laurel wants to know more about Poppy. And honestly, she can't stop thinking about her. So the next day at work, Laurel approaches a coworker and tells her everything about last night. And she's like, God, I just, it's weird. Like afterwards, she wanted to help me with the dishes and she reorganized my apartment. She went to the couch and did the fucking pillow trapping thing. Like she was, what? it was weird. She was helping me clean out the fridge. Like what kind of kid does that? And the coworker was like, oh, she's got classic only child syndrome. You don't know? It's because you have three kids. Listen, you have more than one kid, they're fine. But you have just one? Oh, she's daddy's little girl. She's a little too spoiled. It's not that weird. She's one of those girls. And suddenly, Laurel feels a little bit better. You know, she feels a little bit more at ease. Maybe she was being just, just judgmental. It's always been in her to judge. And with this confirmation, Laurel starts seeing Floyd more and more often. They even spent an entire weekend together going out to eat, taking Poppy to the movies. Everything was going great. Time was flying by, like one of those montages in the movie where everything is going too well and you just know some shit is gonna hit the fan soon. Well, for Laurel, it was her birthday. I guess it was their birthday. Laurel and Hannah, her daughter, had the same birthday. Now, it had been a while since the whole family actually came to do to, came together to do something. And Laurel feels like it's the perfect year. I'm a new changed woman. I've moved on. Nobody's going to pity me at the dinner table. Everyone's going to, oh, poor Laurel, still alone. It's perfect. So she calls up Hannah. Hey, honey, what do you think of organizing a family dinner for all of us? Mom? What do you mean, all of us? I mean, you, me, dad, dad's new girlfriend, or girlfriend, I guess, and Jake, and his uh, girlfriend, Bonnie, Blue, 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 yeah. Dad's girlfriend is Bonnie, okay, Blue. And um, yeah, and if you have a boyfriend, you could bring them. Um, that sounds awkward. That doesn't sound like something I wanna do, mom. I don't, this is gonna be weird. You're gonna meet Bonnie for the first time in like, what, six years that they've been dating and you wanna do it in front of all the kids and all of our part, that's weird, mom. I, no. No, sweetie, it's not gonna be awkward because your father and I are not gonna let it be awkward and you should invite the nice boy who sent you those flowers. Mom, I told you those flowers were from a friend. Can you just drop it already? And stop trying to invent a boyfriend for me. There is none, okay? Okay. Fine, yeah, sorry. Okay, fine, I'll arrange it, mom, but if this is all a shit show and it's a hideous disaster, I'm gonna blame you for the rest of my life. She's like, okay, well, I'm okay with that. And with that, Laurel, of course, invites Floyd and Poppy for the family lunch. Now, there's only one problem. Poppy dresses weird and it's weird. Like, it's really freaking weird. The family's gonna be like, um, what's wrong with this kid? This kid is not kidding. It's not a kid. So uh, Laurel doesn't want her family to be unsettled. Before the lunch, she takes Poppy on a girl's date to go shopping. Poppy actually ends up liking to dress like a normal nine-year-old. She likes it. She's like, I've never been to H&M, it's nice. <laughs> they even grab lunch afterwards, and while they're waiting for their food to get to their table, they start chatting it up. Laurel's like, so Poppy, what about your sister? Do you guys get along? Are you guys close? Close-ish? I mean, we're really different. How? 
well, she's an introvert and I'm an extrovert. She's good at art. I'm good at math. She cares about everything. I care about nothing. She's humorless and I'm, well, hilarious. <laughs> and she's not close to dad and I'm super close to dad. And at that point, the waiter comes over with their food and Laurel zones out on the ketchup bottle. And she suddenly flashes back to a moment where in the past, she had taken young Ellie to this exact restaurant. And in this brief moment, Poppy is Ellie. And she starts blinking and breathing heavy. And she looks again and Poppy is now Poppy. Definitely not Ellie. But what a bizarre moment. So Laurel, what did you do today? Um, I visited my mom in the hospital. You have a mom? Yes, of course I do. Everybody has a mom. Well, I don't. Well, maybe not one that you see, but you have a mother somewhere. If you can't see something, it doesn't exist. Now, Poppy, that doesn't make sense. What about New York? I can't see New York, neither can you, but that doesn't mean it doesn't exist now, does it? That doesn't count. We can see New York on a thousand live streams right now. We could call someone up in New York and ask them to send a photo, but my mom, well, I can't see her on a webcam or even in a photo. I can't even call her up. I can't even go see her remains in a graveyard. She just doesn't exist. Well, would you like her to exist? Do you miss her? No, I never even think about her. I hate her. Why? Because she hated me and she was mean, ugly, and neglectful. Well, Poppy, she couldn't have been that ugly if, ta if she had a daughter as pretty as you. She didn't look anything like me. She was horrible. That's all I remember, horrible. And she smelled like fries. Fries? Yeah, her hair, it was red and smelled like fries. Laurel's honestly taken aback. She can't imagine Floyd ever being with someone whose hair smells like fries. But she's curious. Maybe that's his vibe. Maybe that's his style. And like, I'm not that style. I don't smell like fries. So Laurel, she's like, how do I compare with a redhead that smells like fries? And she probably shouldn't have done this, but she can't help it. And she asked Poppy, would you say that your father was happier then or now? <laughs> A simple yes or no would have sufficed, right? But not with this nine-year-old. Poppy takes this as an opportunity to go down on a full rant. She says, what does happy even mean? We're here for no reason, you know that? People try and make that, that there's a greater purpose, a secret meaning, that it all means something, and it doesn't. We're all just a bunch of freaks. A bunch of stupid, inconsequential freaks. We don't have to be happy. We don't have to be normal. We don't even have to be alive. Not if we don't want to. We can do whatever we want as long as we don't hurt other people. Wow, that's some philosophy you got there, kid. You're a very unusual girl, aren't you? Yes. Okay, good for you, Poppy, but I'm fucking scared of shit of you. <laughs> God. So fast forward to the birthday lunch, Laurel finally dresses up for once, and even her own daughter is super impressed. I mean, everybody is. Floyd and Poppy are the first ones at the restaurant, and soon Paul and his girlfriend Bonnie get there. Laurel was nervous that meeting Bonnie would be awkward. And I guess Paul and Laurel really do have a good friendship because Bonnie had only heard kind, kind things about Laurel. She literally hugs her, runs straight up to her, gives her a bear hug, and she's like, I never took anything personally. I, it's about damn time we met. Nice to meet you. They just immediately clicked. Paul and Floyd's meeting was a success too. They immediately bonded over the fact that they were wearing the same socks. Everybody seemed super relaxed, super happy, except for Jake, the eldest son's girlfriend, Blue. Now, Laurel hated Blue already. She thought to herself, of course the bitch is grumpy. Jake probably had to argue with her for days to even get her here. Laurel's really judgy, okay? But Blue's not that bad. There's a reason that she's grumpy. Anyway, the whole thing is a success. And at the end, Poppy stands up waiting to do the toast to the birthday girls. And she stands up and says, 
I've now only known Laurel for a couple of weeks, but in the time that I've gotten to know her well, I, I consider her to be a true and beautiful friend. She's so kind and so generous, and my father and I are lucky to have her in our lives. And now I can see that she is not the only lovely person in her family. I know I've just met all of you, but I can feel how much you all love each other, and I feel honored to be a part of all of this. To Laurel, and to Hannah, and to happy families. Well, this nine-year-old can toast better than <laughs> anyone I've ever seen. Exactly. That's like at first, all the adults except for Floyd are fucking silent and staring at each other because did a nine-year-old really just say that? <laughs> like she was more eloquent than all the other adults there. It just didn't make sense. Uh -huh. But eventually, they toasted and <laughs> left the restaurant. Overall, the whole event went great. But as they're walking out of the restaurant, Paul pulls Laurel aside and says. Poppy's a delightful girl. Doesn't she um kind of remind you of in a funny way? And they're both thinking the same thing. Poppy doesn't just look like Ellie. She talks like her, has similar mannerisms. It's almost creepy. Funny, Laurel. You found yourself a look-alike family. A what? Well, Floyd, he looks a bit like me too, doesn't he? And Laurel shrugs off the comment, but the more she dwells on it on the ride back, she realizes it's kind of true. Floyd does resemble Paul in the way. They dress the same, even the same hairstyle, and all those weird feelings that she had about Floyd and Poppy was starting to get to her. So that night, she sleeps over at Floyd's place, and the next morning, she's about to leave, but the mailman slips the mail through the letterbox in the door. Gotta love the British. Laurel feels a bit awkward. I mean, is she really gonna open the door and move her leg dramatically over them and then like it's weird but she also feels weird picking it up and then putting it on the counter because what if it looks like she's just picking up his mail and going through his mail like a crazy girlfriend so she's like okay let me just put them on the kitchen okay it's weird so she picks them up and of course her her eyes are gonna glance at the top letter and it was to miss noelle donnelly and the name rings a bell but laurel can't place it she's like god where do i know that name from Noelle must be Poppy's mom. Maybe Floyd mentioned her name in passing or something. I don't know. That's weird. So she leaves and the whole day she can't stop thinking about Noelle Donnelly. She can't shake the name. Why the f*** does it sound so familiar? And the next time Laurel sees Floyd, she says, Hey, funny, I think I might have known someone that lived in this house before you. Huh? Yeah, well, there was a letter on your kitchen counter for Noelle Donnelly. And I can't for the life of me remember how I know her, but I, I do. I thought for a moment maybe it was Poppy's mom. And for a second, Floyd is still. And he says, um, it, it is her mom. Oh, oh my God, what, is she Irish? Yes, she was. What? Did she work around here? Um, kind of. She was a tutor in math. I think she taught some of the local kids. Oh my God, yes, of course, that's it. She must have taught Ellie. Ellie had a tutor for a short while before, um, before, yeah. Wow, what a coincidence. Our paths have come so close to crossing, just one degree of separation. And Laurel nods absentmindedly, and, but she's no longer in the conversation. She's trying to remember the details. But it's been over a decade. But there is a vague thought. Someone that might remember it better is Ellie. So this is from Ellie's point of view. Before Ellie went missing, and Laurel doesn't know most of this information yet, Ellie had begged her for a math tutor. Laurel asked for a, a local mom's recommendation, and someone mentioned Noelle Donnelly. She was in her 40s. She had an Irish accent, pale, red hair. She smelled a little bit weird, like cooking oil or something. And it seemed fine, you know? It just seemed like she never washed her hair. Noelle's first words to Ellie were, Good afternoon, Ellie. I hope you have your brain switched on. 
Nellie thought it was a bit weird. Is she trying to be funny or something? Anyway, Laurel walked in with some tea and cookies, and despite the awkward opening question, the first tutoring session went just as normal. Noelle was trying to understand Ellie's strengths, her weaknesses, and math, and they did a few exercises together. And soon enough, Noelle came over every Tuesday afternoon for their tutoring sessions. Gradually, Ellie's grades went from a B plus to an A plus. Now, if you remember, Ellie is an overachiever, so this should have made her feel over the moon, right? But not really. Ellie was too busy being creeped out by Noelle. Just a tad bit. It seemed like Noelle liked her a little bit too much. She would constantly bring Ellie gifts, and it felt weird. I mean, burdensome almost. And I'm not talking about small candy and snacks. That would have been perfectly normal. But Noelle would buy Ellie earrings and lip balms and a nice pen. And she would always say, for my best student, as she passed it over. Not only that, but Noelle seemed too interested in Ellie's life. She'd always stop a session and say, So, how's that uh, boyfriend of yours? Theo, was it? He's a handsome fella, huh? Oh, um, he's fine. Well, he's a keeper. And sometimes Nellie would come in wanting to ask bizarre questions. On the day she came into a tutoring session with a super sour mood, she sat down with Ellie and asked her, Tell me, Ellie, what's the worst thing that's ever happened to you? Um, what? I... I don't know. Like a hamster dying, something like that is probably the worst thing that ever happened to you. I never had a hamster. Oh, well then there it is. Maybe not having a hamster is the worst thing that's ever happened to you. Uh, no, I never wanted a hamster. I guess the worst thing is... Actually, I don't know. You never wanted a dog? Not really. Noelle sighed and started pulling out pieces of paper and saying, Well, you're a very, very lucky, lucky girl, aren't you? You really are. And I hope you appreciate how lucky you are. Yeah, I, I do. Good, because when you get to my age, there will be loads of things you want, and you will see everyone else getting them but you. And you'll think, well, it must be my turn now, surely. And you'll watch it disappear into the sunset, and there will be nothing you can do about it, nothing whatsoever. It was the first time Noelle was in one of those moods, but it wouldn't be the last. Almost every session after that, Noelle just got weirder and weirder. She would randomly pause the lesson to ask Ellie, so what are your hopes and dreams? Uh, I don't know. I guess just do well on my finals. Like, just get the lesson on. I mean, why are you being so weird, ma'am? You're a math tutor, not a freaking life coach. What's happening? And after enough sessions, Ellie decided her grades are good. She'd had enough of this weird lady that smelled like cooking oil. And she told her mom, hey, my, mom, my grades are great now. I'm ready. Laura didn't think anything of it. She was just excited to have some more breathing room in her family budget. When Laurel called Noelle to tell her the news, obviously, Noelle was understandably upset. I think she was counting on this income for the next few weeks because, I mean, who drops a tutor right before finals? And how do you even find a new student to work with because all the students that wanted a tutor, they probably already started working with one. So, yeah, it's understandable that she was upset. But none of this mattered to 15-year-old Ellie, who had no idea what bills or life or anything was. Because she's 15, and that's the way it should be. She was just worried about her grades and her boyfriend. Let Tend Dental make your dream smile a reality. We offer a variety of top-rated treatments, including Invisalign aligners. And for a limited time, Tend is offering $750 off orthodontic treatments. Offer valid through January 31st, so don't wait. Visit hellotend.com slash sale. That's hellotend.com slash sale. And book your free consult today. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Ne- Noelle Donnelly was completely out of her mind. So much so that when she runs into Noelle on a Thursday morning on her way to the library, it's been weeks, she does a double take. And as soon as Noelle sees Ellie, she, you know, runs up to her and is like, hey, and Ellie takes a few seconds to register. Oh, Noelle, um, hi. (laughs) And those few seconds that Ellie didn't immediately register Noelle in her mind would change the course of her life forever. Noelle said, my best student, how are you? Are you ready for the big day? Yeah, totally. You know, I've been using a practice paper for my other students and they say it's been super helpful. And from what I've heard through the grapevine is that they have a lot of crossover questions with this year's final. If you like, I can give you a copy. Yeah, that would be great. Now let me see, I could uh, drop it off this evening if that's okay with you. Sounds great. Or you know what, better yet, I don't have time. Why don't you just come around with me? I'm four houses down. And I'll print you one. Ellie looked around. She saw that, I mean, it's a busy residential area. People are walking around. Someone would see her. She didn't expect anything bad to happen, but she had been taught stranger danger. So she's a little bit hesitant. Besides, this is a math tutor that she worked with. Everyone in high school knew this tutor. So what could possibly go wrong? And she starts walking, but before she does, just across the street from Noelle's, Ellie stops to check her reflection in the window of a parked car. The CCTV footage caught the moment, but Noelle was not in the frame. Then Ellie followed Noelle to her house, and now a decade later, Laurel was calling Hannah to ask. Hey, sweetie, do you remember anything about Ellie's old math tutor from like 10 years ago? Uh, yeah, I remember her. Ellie hated her. What? No, she didn't. She didn't hate her. She just thought she was wonderful, her savior. She got her math grades up. Okay, whatever you say, that's not how I remember it. I remember her saying that she was weird and creepy, and that's why she stopped the lessons. What? No, she never, she never ever said that. She said it was because her grades were good. So Laurel reaches under her bed and she had kept um, Ellie's diary. And she starts going through it. And there were only a few entries about Noelle and none of it was that alarming. She just said that Noelle was asking a couple weird questions. They were giving her gifts and she was the best student. And she just said, I think I'm over this now. She really freaks me out sometimes. She's so intense and she smells. I'm going to ask mom to cancel our sessions. Nothing that inherently alarming. Just seems like Noelle might be a bit unhinged, but not dangerous by any means. Now, clearly Ellie wasn't writing about stranger danger, just weird. Didn't want to deal with her. Before Laurel can even get through her thoughts together, she gets a call from her son, Jake. He never calls. She picks it up. Hello, is everything okay, Jake? It's not Jake. It's Blue, his girlfriend. Oh, hi, is everything all right with Jake? Yes, he's fine. He's sitting right here. Okay, what can I do for you, Blue? I've been wrestling with this all weekend, and I haven't been able to think about anything else. But your boyfriend. I have a sixth sense of sorts, and your boyfriend, his aura is just all wrong. It's dark. I'm sorry? 
I have this gift. I can see into people's psyches, through the walls of their higher consciousness, into their subconscious. And I'm really sorry, but the minute that I sat down and saw him there, the minute that we made eye contact, I just knew. You knew what? That he was hiding something. Listen, I know that you and I are not close, and I know it's mainly down to me being so self-protective, but I do care about you. You're the mother of the man that I love, and I want you to be safe. Honestly, Laurel is pissed, okay? Firstly, she's not buying it. Second of all, she felt like Blue was the reason that her son didn't even call her. Which, side note, couldn't be further from the truth. Jake didn't call her because she was just so unpleasant to talk to. Thirdly, she's finally starting to have a normal life. Why couldn't she just... Why couldn't everyone just get on board? Like, why? So Laurel decides to ignore Blue's warning and starts seeing Floyd more regularly. It looks exactly the same. Please. <gasps> oh my god! Turn it around. Uh, it's beautiful. Oh, oh, cute. Oh, oh, cute. Now we have to try it. This one is beautiful. Ready? Okay, yes. dessert but this is fantastic do you like it do you love it mm. fancy very fancy and so she starts seeing floyd way more regularly and one evening she goes over and sj is there oh hey sj i wasn't expecting to see you tonight how are you oh i wasn't supposed to be here but my mom and i got into a huge fight that's why i'm here Oh, well, what did you guys fight about? I mean, you obviously don't have to tell me. I just met you, and I'm not trying to, like, impose or get involved. It's fine, Laurel. It's fine. She just doesn't like my new boyfriend. He's 49. Well, that'll do it. <laughs> and he's married, and he has four kids. The youngest is eight. Oh. So Floyd comes in, and he says, Listen, I told SJ to not come here seeking or expecting validation because she's not going to get it. And with that, SJ tears up and she storms out of the kitchen. She's heading to leave, but Laurel decides to stop her. Maybe they could have some one-on-one -on -one time. And she says, SJ, let's just talk it out, you and me. What is there to talk out? I'm a bitch, I'm bad, I'm breaking up a family. What else is there to say? Well, you know, I had an affair with a married man once when I was very young. To be fair, he didn't have any children and he was only married for a year, but we had an affair for about two years while I was in university. Was he your teacher? No, no, just a friend. Well, did he leave her for you? He didn't. And I left university and it just kind of fizzled out. So who is it for you? A teacher? Well, I have a few part-time jobs and including doing nude modeling for an art class. And my boyfriend is the teacher of the art course. Yeah, not predatory at all. So she's like, well, how long has this been going on for? A few months? And it's not what you think. It's not just sex. It's more than that. We talk all the time and I'm his, his muse. Yeah. I'm his muse. And Laurel sighs. It's like just cliche after cliche after cliche. Like, come on, girl, you're better than this. And she tells her, you're young, you're beautiful, you're intelligent, but you have to be careful. He's most likely never going to leave his partner or his kids. You're going to end up hurt. And with the internet these days, his wife is probably going to find out. And when she does, there's going to be consequences for everyone involved, including you. So after some of that bonding, Laurel can't help but ask SJ some of her own questions. 
This is the whole point of this. She said, "Do you remember anything about Noel?" Um, yeah, she's a bit freaky. Did you see her often? No, I used to come and stay with Dad more often back then, and she would be here, but she always acted like she hated me. What do you mean she hated you? Oh, you know, always made cutting remarks about my behavior, that I was out of control, that in her family I would have been beat black and blue for doing what I did. And the minute that my dad would leave the room, she would ignore me and act like I wasn't there. And she called me that, that girl. She wouldn't even say my name. She said, "Oh, is that girl gonna be there? Is that girl going to her mom's anytime soon?" Like that kind of thing. Honestly, she was pretty vile. Now that I think about it. Oh, that's horrible. You must have been horrified when she got pregnant. Yeah, I, I cried. How did you feel when Poppy was born? Did you feel jealousy? Because my kids kind of did. Oh no, I was too old by then. I didn't want to see her. I didn't want to see Poppy because I didn't believe that she was real, though. Wait, what? What do you mean by that? Poppy's not real? How is that even possible? I don't know. It's kind of hard to explain, but I thought she was like a robot baby or like an alien baby. I didn't even actually believe Noelle gave birth to her. I was scared of her. I was terrified of Poppy. That's a rather strange reaction you had. Yeah, kind of freakish reaction. Why do you think you felt like that? Well, there was a thing, and like a moment, I guess. And to this day, I still don't know if I imagined it or not. I was kind of a weird kid.、Um, I had some emotional difficulties growing up. I was prone to these outbursts of anger, and well, it happened during one of the heights of my outbursts. And I was angry at my parents for splitting up. Dad was seeing this new woman that I didn't like, and she was pregnant. And I just had all these puberty and hormones and anxiety, and it was a lot. Well, during that year, I swear I saw something. I looked through the door of my dad's bedroom, and Noelle was eight months pregnant. And I looked, and I saw her changing. And there was no bump, no bump, not even a slight bump. She was naked, and there was no bump. And I don't know what I saw. I don't know if I got my timelines mixed up, but I was never really able to process it. And I never knew if it was just me being a weird kid, can't deal with the idea of the new baby coming around, or my parents were never going to get back together. I don't know if it was that, or if it really happened. But when that baby was born three weeks later, I just know that I was terrified. Laurel felt like she had crossed too many lines, and she let the topic go. But she knew that she would never sleep at night until she found out more. She needed to know more about Noelle Donnelly. She dug up her old phone book, since back then they had phone books, and she looked up Noelle's landline number. Ring, ring. A man's voice answers. Hi, this is Joshua. I'm looking for a Noelle Donnelly. Oh, I'm Noelle's nephew. If you were looking for her, I am actually not really sure where my aunt is. No one in the family knows. No one's really heard from her for years, and since she has paid off her house, we've been kind of using it whenever we're around on campus to study. You're more than welcome to come over if you have any questions. So she comes over, and、uh, everything was still there: her books, her clothes, her personal items, all that stuff. And、um, Noelle sitting awkwardly in the living room. Well, what do you think happened to your aunt, Joshua? I have no idea, no clue, honestly. I mean, she was supposed to come to Ireland, and that's what I was told. She took her things, she took her passport, her cards, she packed a bag, some photos. I mean, she was clearly going somewhere, but wherever it was, it looks like maybe she never got there. Her passport was never used. She hadn't used her cards in years. Yeah, I, I know what that feels like. My daughter disappeared. Oh yeah, in two thousand and five, and the last place that my daughter was seen alive was right there. The other side of this house, across the street, on CCTV camera. Have you ever met、um, Noelle's daughter, Poppy? No, none of us have. She's the only cousin that I haven't met. That guy, the dad, Floyd or whatever, he keeps to himself and keeps her close to home. 
he didn't even want us to suggest to help him out with the kid. He's quite cold with us. He made it really clear that we weren't wanted around. And at this point, Laurel realizes that Poppy has no idea that she even has an Irish side of the family. Like, she has no idea about any of this. Well, Josh, I've been dating Floyd, actually. He's my boyfriend. And funny enough, Noelle used to tutor my daughter, Ellie. In fact, she was tutoring her weeks before she disappeared. Are you implying that something unusual happened? I don't know. I mean, it does sound odd. You've got me thinking. My brain's working. You have a mystery. I have a mystery. And it seems like you think the two mysteries are somewhat connected. I, I don't know, it's just a thought. Have you ever been over Noelle's things, like her private things, maybe a diary? No, no, never, but um, there was something really strange that we just could never understand. Can I show you? And he starts pointing at the basement door. And he's like, you have to trust me since it's in the basement. The oh strange my thing, gosh. the thing we found. Listen, I totally understand if you don't want to go down, I wouldn't if I were you. Probably seen too many scary movies. You know, the ones where you're like, don't go down the bloody stairs, you idiot. Um, I could just describe it to you if you like. Or I could just run down right now and take a photo with my phone. Yes, do that, please. And Laurel's like, it's fine. I can go oh, down and have a look. No. <laughs> and he's like, well, just text someone first and let them know where you are. That's what I would do. And she's like, just show me. What? <laughs> What? <laughs> it's literally how to get yourself killed 101. Oh, so Joshua yeah. leads her downstairs to the basement into a small square room with a small window that's super high up. Um, super high up, right? On the wall. And there's a small sofa pullout bed, a TV set, and a chair, and a series of what looks like hamster cages piled on top of one another. And Josh says, there were like 20 hamsters in here when my uncle came. They were all dead, you know? Like on their backs with their little legs in the air. Some of them had eaten each other, apparently. I mean, we just couldn't work it out. We thought maybe she was breeding the hamsters and selling it to the kids she tutored, but there was no evidence of that. I mean, it was just weird. Why would you have all these hamsters in your basement and then just one day leave them to die? And Laurel felt a chill go up her spine. Well, what do you think the room was used for, Joshua? I don't know, maybe a guest room? Laurel didn't think so because there were three locks on that door. That didn't sound very friendly. It didn't sound like a great hostess. It's not very homey though, is it? Why would she have kept a sofa bed down here with the TV and all the hamsters? Listen, I told you it was weird. And when Josh wasn't looking, Laurel's eyes scanned the room and something caught her attention, poking out from the sofa bed. She picked it up and slipped it in her pocket. It was a lip balm in bright pink, watermelon flavored. Laurel rushes home, pulls out a box of Ellie's things from under her bed, and she found two lip balms, mango and honeydew. She pulls out the watermelon one from her pocket and they line up perfectly. It's a set? It's a set. The green casing, everything. They formed a fucking set. The lip balm was Ellie's. So you're probably wondering, what the hell is up with Noelle? You want, a little, you want to know a little bit more about her, right? Uh -huh. Well, Noelle was a weird one. She was born in Ireland raised on a farm that had a ton of sheep just bang about. Her family was super religious. She had to go to church every single Sunday and that religion really rubbed off on her. She believed sex was disgusting, okay? You can only do it to create children. Like not even sex after marriage was okay. 
If you are not going into sex with the intention to create a child, disgusting. Noel's parents didn't even sleep in the same room because they were just that religious. They were extreme. Noel had a ton of siblings, four brothers and a younger sister that died when she was eight years old. Now, Noel's parents were the type that really liked to put the kids against each other. She loved to manipulate them. She, They loved to just be so strict and constantly be like, why can't you be like your brother who gets good grades or like this and that? And Noelle did well in school, but she had a few flaws. The fact that she was the middle child, the only girl in the siblings, and the fact that she wasn't dead. Yeah, Noelle's parents constantly compared her to her dead younger sister, who was prettier, nicer, smarter, and dead. Everything Noelle was not. I mean, how do you compete with a dead girl? You can't. Because they're almost forever put in this high land in the parents' views, you know? So Noelle pushed herself to try and make her parents proud. She went to college, got a PhD in math, moved to London hoping to become something. But she knew it wasn't meant to be, mainly because she felt like she didn't deserve to become something. Noelle just had this crazy self-esteem. She thought she was ugly, stupid, not good enough. So when Noelle became a teacher, which was a bit of an odd choice because she literally hated kids and she wasn't confident enough to command an entire classroom of kids, it just didn't work out. So when it didn't work, Noelle's like, well, what can I do to make some money? She becomes a private math tutor. It just made more sense. The one-on-one -on -one was a bit easier to manage and she could live in this cozy, cute little house all by herself. And it wasn't the most fulfilling life, but by the time that she's 41, she's still a virgin. She has little or no connection with anyone in the world, not even her family who are back in Ireland. And then one day she picks up a book that changes her life. It was called Bad at Math. Ring a bell? The one that Floyd Dunn mm -hmm. wrote? And Noelle fell in love with this book. It was f***ing hilarious to her. She reread it over and over and over again. She said reading that book, she's laughed way more than she had reading that book than she had her entire life. She wasn't even exaggerating. And when she got to the last page, she sees the picture of the author. He looked like a humble, nerdy, middle-aged man. Back then, Floyd did not dress well. He didn't even have those tortoise shell glasses that made him look artsy. He just looked really like he looked like a math teacher, but not a professor. Do you, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Like he looked like a math teacher, not a math professor you know it's a difference so he was simple he didn't do his hair he didn't dress well but noelle was like this guy is perfect i want to lick his toes she stalked him online found out that he was signing copies at a local bookstore and she went she wore a skirt put on red lipstick so scandalous okay the red lipstick brought out the red in her hair she never did that for anyone she walked straight up to him and it was a pretty slow book signing you know, it's a math book. She takes out her book and it was clear that she had reread this thing a million times. And he says, oh wow, well that's a well-loved copy you got. Yeah, it's a very useful tool. I'm a math tutor. Who should I make it out to? Noelle. Oh, lovely name, Noelle. Are you a Christmas baby? Yes, December 24th. Best Christmas present ever, huh? No, apparently not. I ruined Christmas for everyone. Now, Noelle didn't say it to be cute and quirky. It was the truth. Her parents were not happy that she was born near Christmas. But with Noelle's Irish accent, everything that she said just sounded cute and funny, <sighs> even though she wasn't trying to be cute and funny. And Floyd, he liked it. She said, well, I'll let you go. I hope you have a safe journey back to London. Where do you live? Oh, I live in North London. Same. Well, whereabouts do you live? Stroud Green. Wow, wow, what a coincidence. Me too. So Noelle's freaking out like, 
What? You live nearby? Yeah, Lotmeyer Road. Do you know it? Oh my god, yeah, that's only like a few roads down from me. Well, Noelle, hopefully our paths will cross again. Have a good one. And with that, Noelle was going to make sure that their paths crossed again. She did this, not by stalking him, but anytime she ran out of milk, she's like, oop, got to run to the store in my best clothes, my cutest outfit. Forgot the newspaper, got to go out again because they literally live like three freaking roads down. Oh. So they probably have the same grocery store, have the same everything. So she's like, oh, got to do this, got to do that. And finally, a few weeks later, Noelle runs into Floyd at the market. That's my dog carrying her big ass toy around, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Now, he recognizes her and he's like, oh my God, are you Noelle? And uh, they bump into each other again and again. And by the fourth time, he's like, do you just want to go on a date with me? He asks her out on a date. And they went mm. on a date. And everything was perfect. And afterwards, Floyd invited her over. And she was like, oh my God, stop, I'm a virgin. And he was like, okay, I'll stop. And then she was like, actually, don't stop. And he took things slowly. Now, Noelle was clearly head over heels for this guy. But she wasn't dumb. She knew that Floyd just wanted sex. I mean, it was obvious. He only called when he wanted sex. They never talked much. Mainly, they cuddled, watched TV, and then they had sex. But Noelle was convinced. All these little moments leading up to the sex. I mean, most people would think that's not bonding. That's just Floyd trying to pretend like he didn't want her just for the sex. You know, he's trying to be all natural with it. He's like, I just wanted to hang out with you and like watch TV with you. You're like the really good TV companion. You know what I mean? Oh, oh my God. We're just having sex like that. That's shocking. I didn't call you at 11 p.m. for that. That's what he's trying to do. But she thought that eventually he would fall in love with her. And after a year of this I don't know if you could call it dating or whatever. Noelle even met SJ, Floyd's daughter. And remember, SJ is pissed that her parents are divorced and that Floyd is moving on with another woman. In fact, whenever Noelle came around, SJ would sit on her dad's lap and force him to follow her to the bathroom because she was too scared to pee or force him to read like 25 different books before she fell asleep while Noelle awkwardly waited in the living room. Now, SJ was just 11 when this all happened it was a lot, but it was just like too much for Floyd. He felt like SJ was crazy and just bizarre and Noelle was stressed. SJ was not easy to get along with and SJ cried every time Noelle came over and it just made Noelle feel like she was a monster. Like she was the one making this child cry mm -hmm. and it brought her to this dark place. So one day while Floyd and Noelle are in bed, I guess Floyd gets a bit comfortable and he says, Maybe if you and I had a child, maybe it would be like me. Because SJ hates me. And he was just saying that in passing. But Noelle was shocked. She hated kids. She never wanted them. But for Floyd, she would do anything. She lied and told Floyd that she was still on birth control. They stopped using condoms. And uh, she wasn't on birth control. But what are the odds that Noelle, you know, in her 40s is going to get pregnant? Two months later, she got pregnant. She told Floyd, and he was ecstatic. He was over the moon. He even brought her to her first scan, held her hand the whole time, and Noelle was so nervous, and he's like, it's okay, it's gonna be okay. She doesn't even like kids, but she felt so reassured and so loved, and she could feel the excitement that he was feeling, and she too started getting excited. But then the doctor came into the room and said, we can't locate the heartbeat. The fetus is dead. And in that doctor's room, the split second the doctor said that, Floyd dropped Noelle's hand, and that killed her. He just let go of her hand in the moment that she needed it most. He didn't really love her. So what does he love? A new kid? Yeah. What a weirdo. <laughs> 
And to make matters worse, Floyd distanced himself. And the next time he saw her, he wanted to break up. He said, you know, this could be our chance to walk away from each other. No hard feelings. But Noelle hung on to dear life. She begged him to be with her and would answer every and all booty calls whenever Floyd was feeling lonely at night. And a few years, yes, years passed. The two were sleeping with each other here and there, but it was even more obvious now that Floyd really didn't care about anything but sex. Like, he wasn't even doing the whole TV dance anymore. And it was just so painful for Noelle. She turned 44, missed another period. She thought that it was menopause, but she was pregnant. This time, she didn't tell Floyd. She went to the doctor's appointment alone, but it was another miscarriage, the second miscarriage. And that was the day that she showed up to tutoring with Ellie and asked her, Ellie, what's the worst thing that's ever happened to you? She looked around. She saw the family photos in Ellie's house. She saw the comfy furniture, the family cat named Teddy. This was everything she wanted. She wanted to feel like she had a place, a family, and she couldn't have it. Listen, it must have been hard for Noelle. She had a rough life and she had nobody to fall back on. The only person that she really had was Floyd. And even that, she could feel like he was slipping from her grip. And she felt this crushing loneliness, this desperateness. But there was no excuse for what she did to Ellie. Noelle had always been jealous of golden girls. Her dead sister was a golden girl. The popular one, the extrovert that made head turns when they walked in the room. Noelle wished that she could have been one of them. But she couldn't have been. She was always lonely. And the more that she saw Ellie, the more it turned from jealousy to almost obsession. She became obsessed with Ellie. She wanted to, Ellie to like her. That's why she brought her these gifts. She complimented her. And even all the nagging about Ellie's hopes and dreams, it was in the idea that Ellie would feel like Noelle actually cared about her. She didn't realize that she was being overbearing and creepy. Tutoring sessions with Ellie were becoming the highlight of Noelle's week. She pictured after Ellie's aced finals, Ellie would throw her arms around Noelle in a tight embrace and say, Noelle, oh my god, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. And Laurel would come up and say, oh, Noelle, we couldn't have done this without you. Come in, join us for dinner, have a drink with me. And she would sit there on that kitchen counter feeling like she was part of the family. But when Laurel called to cancel future tutoring sessions, Noelle said it was a fucking travesty. Her bubble had been popped again. She wasn't important. She wasn't special. She didn't have a family that cared about her. Not her own. It's not like she could make her own. And she definitely wasn't joining the Mac family. This was her second miscarriage. And that's when Noelle, just for shits and giggles, started stalking Ellie. I mean, it was just for shits and giggles. It had been going on for weeks and she never really approached her. But for some reason that day when she saw Ellie walk to the library, she just had to say hi. She wanted to find out for herself, why, why did you not want me for a tutor? But when she walked up and said, hi, she saw it for a few seconds, a few split moment that felt like eternity to her. Ellie did not recognize her. This was like a punch in the gut, the nail in the coffin. Noelle knew that she meant nothing to Ellie and that was fucking devastating. She didn't know what she was going to do, but she invited Ellie over to her house. And while Ellie waited in the living room, Noelle brought her over a drink to sip on. It was hot outside. Ellie brought the glass to her mouth and started drinking the entire thing before saying thank you. Oh, you lovely girl, you're welcome. Now you wait here and I'll bring the practice papers. Ellie could hear Noelle's footsteps as she left the room, but slowly Ellie starts to lose consciousness. And when she opened her freaking eyes, she felt disoriented. It was dark. 
There was a squeak noise. She opens them as, as much as she can and her body won't move. It won't even listen to her. She hears Noelle's voice. You're awake now? Now listen, I should apologize first for what I've done to you. It's terrible and unforgivable, really. But I hope with time you'll see why I did this. I hope you understand. Ellie struggled to move, like she could not move. And Noelle notices. Well, the effects should wear off soon. At least I hope they do. It said on the internet that it lasts about 3 to 12 hours, and you've been out for what? 12? So here, take a sip of water. And Ellie's first words were, My mom. My mom. Where's my mom? Oh, don't you worry about her. She probably just thinks you're off with that boy of yours. It's a lovely evening, you know? The height of summer. Where am I? In my basement. Which makes it sound worse than it is. It's actually my guest room. Really. Not that I ever have any guests. But I used to keep all my other junk here and I cleaned it out just for you. Anyway, get some rest and I'll get you a sandwich. Don't try and get up because you're feeling a little bit woozy. You might fall and hurt your head. And Noelle ran her hands through Ellie's hair before saying, Good girl and she scurries out of the room. Ellie heard one lock, then another, and then another. When Noelle comes back, Ellie's pleading with her, please let me just go home. Like, I just, I just want, I miss my mom. She's probably worried sick about me. I, I don't want to eat anything. I'm not hungry, please. Just, I want to go home. When Noelle was out for work, Ellie would scream and pound on the walls, but nothing. And the next time that Noelle opened the basement door, Ellie felt so much f***ing rage, she grabbed the chair and tried to throw it at Noelle, but she was out of energy from the lack of food, the lack of water, the lack of anything. And Noelle caught the chair, let it fall to the floor, but Ellie wasn't done. She jumped up, leaped over the room, and tried to strangle Noelle, but it was no use. I mean, Noelle manhandled Ellie backwards up against the wall where she strangled the breath out of her and let her broken body fall to the floor. You can't be doing things like that, Ellie. Now I have to zip tie you up again. <sighs> We're in this together, you and me, and we have to work as a team. I don't want to tie you up like a criminal. I really don't want that. I have treats in mind for you. Lovely things I wanted to do for you. <sighs> and I won't be able to do that if you keep this up. So you behave for the rest of the day, or, and I will bring you your first treat. Ellie nodded. Noelle really thought that bringing Ellie chocolate and chips would make her hate her less for holding her hostage in the basement, but it didn't make up for anything. The next day, Ellie asked Noelle for tampons since she was starting her period. And Ellie asked, Noelle, what are you doing with me? Why am I here? Well, as it happens, I have a plan. A fabulous plan. I'm just waiting for a few things to, you know, move into place or slot into place so you can be patient and it will all be revealed very soon. Ellie had no idea what the hell she was talking about. But a few days later, Noelle came skipping down the hostage room and says, Oh boy, do I have the present for you. <laughs> You're going to love it. Here, take it. And it looked like what, you know, one of those brown salad takeout boxes. And she hesitantly opened it up and she froze. It's just so strange. The container was lined with straw and inside there was two small hamsters. Just look at them. Look at their little souls. Hamsters. You said you always wanted hamsters. I remembered. Ellie nodded and gave a weak smile. She had no idea how to react. In fact, she explicitly stated to, uh, to Noelle that she never wanted hamsters. But here they were with the fucking hamsters. Now, Ellie, you must name them. Come on. Ellie shrugged. Ellie, you don't seem that excited. I thought you would be jumping up and down at the sight of the hamsters. Noelle, I don't know how you expect me to be excited about anything when you're doing this to me. Oh, now it's not so bad. You know it could be worse. 
I could be a man, a big sweaty man that was coming down on here to do God knows what to, to you at all hours of the night. I could keep you tied up all day or in a box under my bed. I read a book once about a married couple, stole a girl from the side of the road, kept her under the bed for years. Sweet Jesus, just imagine that. No, you've got it good here. You've got it good. So go on, name them. So Ellie names them. She says, good, I'll keep you supplied with everything that you need, all the straws, the toys, all of that. And you, your job is to nurture the hamsters. You have to keep them clean, loved, and fed. A little like what I do for you, do you see? I keep you clean and fed, you keep the hamsters clean and fed. It's a lovely little cycle that we've got going on. Noelle got up to leave, but before she opened the door, she had a change of mind and she turned around and said, you know, I did see a little story about you in the papers. You know what they're saying? They said you couldn't face the pressure of finals, so you ran away from home. Who said that? It was your mother, I think. Yeah, it was your mother. Ellie was heartbroken. Like, how could her mom freaking think that? Like, her own mom? Noelle leaves, and Ellie is left with the freaking hamsters that she hates. She hated taking care of them. She hated the smell of them. She doesn't like hamsters. It's just not her thing. Listen, hamsters are not everybody's things. They're cute until I stare at them too long. She even asked Noelle for, you know, some things and Noelle is getting upset with her and it's like this whole thing and the one thing that she remembers, well the two things that Ellie remembers during her time in captivity is that first of all, she never knew what day it was and it was driving her nuts. Every time she asked, Noelle would say, oh I think it's the 9th or it's the 8th. She's like, of what month, you know? She would never respond. And the second thing is, random nights, Ellie would kind of black out. It's like she was drugged again. And after one of those instances, Ellie remembered things just weren't normal. She didn't know what was happening, but she did feel different. She couldn't stop crying, and she felt little bubbles in her stomach. Were you expecting that? I kind of know what's going on. <sighs> so uh, Ellie didn't know she was pregnant. She thought her period left since she was under duress, but she was pregnant. Noelle knew. Noelle had planned it. First of all, she dolled up, went to Floyd's house, had sex with him, and the next morning she took out a bag of frozen sperm that she got from a random internet donor. She was going to use it to impregnate Ellie. Noelle had been tracking her cycles, and she didn't expect Ellie to get pregnant on the first try, but she did. And Noelle was over the moon. She bought fake baby bumps to really seal the deal. She told Floyd that she could never have sex during this pregnancy because the placenta was low-lying. It was a lie. She just needed to hide that she wasn't actually pregnant. And more than the pregnancy, the no sex role took a big toll on Floyd and Noelle's relationship since that's the only reason that Floyd liked her to begin with. And so for nine months, he can't have sex with her. And Noelle, she felt annoyed, but she thought like, you know, once the baby is born, Floyd is not gonna be able to resist me or the baby. He's gonna want us to be a happy little family. Because first of all, Ellie is smart and beautiful. The internet donor, she chose a handsome, tall, one with a medical degree, incredibly intelligent. The baby was gonna be perfect. The baby was gonna be like the next president of the UK or the prime minister of the UK, okay? Ellie was terrified. She kept telling Noelle, something's moving inside my stomach. I'm terrified. I'm scared. And she's like, you have nothing to be worried about. She would bring her down all these healthy little foods and she would try to explain, Ellie, this is a miracle. This, that's what it is. And now you know, now you know why I chose you. Because I couldn't have a baby of my own. And I asked God to find me a baby. And God told me that it was you. And that you were special. That you were to have my baby. And look, look at you now. An immaculate conception. A baby sent from the Holy Father himself. And Ellie would look up at her. 
with disdain in her eyes and she would say, you don't even believe in God. And Noelle would smack her across the face. So she gets showered with healthy pregnancy food, books on pregnancy, pillows to help with her growing bump. All Noelle did was rush downstairs to smile and giggle and gaggle about our little miracle. But when spring came around, Ellie was literally about to pop any moment now, Noelle suddenly had a drastic change in mood. She no longer seemed to care about Ellie. She didn't care about what Ellie ate, how she felt, nothing. Noelle seemed over the baby before the baby was even born. Ellie could not have known that Floyd had just broken up with an eight months pregnant Noelle. He told her for the sake of the relationship and for the sake of the baby, I feel like we should draw the line in the sand now. And Noelle was freaking pissed. She thought everything that I did for that guy and he can't even go nine months without sex. But of course she kept her cool because again, the minute that he saw her and the baby, it'd be game over. She helped Ellie give birth because it's not like, you know, Ellie could go to the hospital. And the stakes weren't really that high for Noelle. As long as the baby lived, she was fine with Ellie dying. She really didn't care. Noelle showed her appreciation by allowing Ellie to name the child. And Ellie chose the name Poppy. Noelle was a bit annoyed. Poppy? Poppy? I mean, I was thinking something more classy. Or more classier, you know? Like Helen. I guess I can't have everything my way. So, fine. Poppy it is. Truly a selfless queen. Noelle took the baby to the hospital and she lied. She told them that she had no idea she was even pregnant and ended up with a home birth. She was given a stern warning and offered postnatal exams and she said, nah, it's fine, I'll go to my primary care physician. Thanks though. Noelle truly thought everything was gonna go well from here. But then Ellie got sick. First it was an infection in her private parts, then in one of her breasts, then a fever, but the worst part of it all was the postpartum depression. Ellie would not stop crying, she kept crying for her own mother, and when the baby was just five months old, Noelle decided it was more trouble to keep Ellie around. And what happens if she connects with the baby? That's a risk she's not willing to take. So Noelle walked upstairs with the baby and just had no intention of coming back down. Ellie died very quickly, whether from being sick, mentally drained, depressed, and of course dehydration or starvation or both, likely it took her life. I know it sounds glossed over, but Noelle just simply forgot about Ellie. She was so preoccupied with her new baby, she didn't even think about Ellie until someone complained about a foul odor coming from her house. She straight up forgot and was like, oh shit, I've got a body in my basement. So Noelle knew she had to get rid of Ellie's body. But first, she would break into Ellie's family's house, making it seem as if Ellie had broken in to take some personal items to make it look like she had run away. The theory was getting bigger and bigger for people. Now, Noelle stuffed everything into Ellie's backpack, threw it into the trunk of her car, drove out to the woods, and with the backpack and some of Ellie's skeletonized remains, dumped them in the woods. And that was that. She just put Ellie out of her mind. She was busy being a mom, if you could call it that, but Noelle felt like with everything going on, at least in the beginning, it was supposed to be good, right? Floyd was supposed to fall in love with her again, but when it actually came down to family, Noelle hated Poppy, and it seemed like Poppy knew something about Noelle. She could just, you know what they said, and I don't know if this is true, but even in the book it said this, that babies actually know it's your mom because of the smell, like dogs. So that's how they know that it's not their mom holding them, even if um, they can't like really see and see your face. Really? It's like a, I guess it's a familiar smell. Maybe you smell it for nine months or you smell it while your mom's always holding you. Mm. It's like a smell. Maybe Poppy smelled Noelle and was like, you smell like fries, 
bitch, you're not my mom. Because she was a nightmare child. She refused to eat anything Noelle fed her, refused to let Noelle brush her hair, bathe her, brush her teeth. She threw tantrums. She made Noelle miserable. So Noelle left Poppy with Floyd more often than not. And whenever Poppy was with Floyd, she really thrived. Like she did everything Floyd wanted. It was like a different child. Gradually, Poppy told her dad she didn't want to go back home with mom because she was scared. And Floyd just saw Noelle as an unfit mother. And one time Poppy showed up to his place with a bruised eye. And Noelle said, no, it's just I went out to get her something to eat because she was complaining all day. And I literally left her alone for like five minutes. She fell off the cupboards. She hit her head. Now Floyd was distraught. He's like, no, like I am getting social workers involved. You're not allowed to be around my kid. It just makes sense for her to live with me. I'm going to homeschool her. I, I don't know what you want to do, but I can't do this. Like, you can't be around my kid. I'm scared for her. I'm scared of her living with you. I think you're a toxic, unfit mother. And Noelle felt like she had been sucker punched. Floyd went on and on about how poppy this, poppy that, you know, she's scared of you and kids these age, they're never scared of their own families, even if they're abusive because you're so young, you just want to connect with your parents. This suggests that there's a fundamental disconnect between you two. Something is weird. You guys are failing to bond. Noelle was shunned. And this, like, this is a point where she starts feeling like, oh, you're upset. Like, is this fucker for real? Like, are you kidding me? And she's like, nope, I'm not going to allow it. Give me my child back. I want her back right now. Noelle, you have to accept this. I've already gotten social workers involved and they agree with me. And she's sitting there like, are you kidding? Every horrible, immoral thing that I have done to be able to have a family for you and you have the audacity to call me an unfit mother. <laughs> she was so shocked. She knew she had to have the last word. She said, yeah. Well, what makes you so sure that she's even yours to take? Did you ever wonder why she looks so little like either of us? She doesn't belong to either of us, Floyd. I made her for you with another woman's womb and another man's sperm. What? That doesn't even make sense, Noelle. I a girl called Ellie had the baby for me, and I was never pregnant, you dumb idiot. How could you even think that I was with that big fucking brilliant brain of yours? Ellie had that baby. She was the mother, and the father was some stranger on the internet selling his shit for 50 pounds a shot. And Frank was frozen, and Noelle kept going. Well, you can keep her, you scumbag. Keep her and pay for her and know for the rest of your life, every time that you look down at her, that she's nothing but a big bag of cells that don't even fucking belong to you. Good luck, you idiot. And in that moment, Floyd lunged at Noelle, grabbed her by the neck, knocked her down off the chair, and she hit the floor. Floyd knew he should have stopped. But he couldn't. What if she tried to take Poppy away? He was seeing red. And he didn't stop until Noelle was dead. Yeah, he killed her. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> Why? For what reason? Don't even get me started. For what reason? Just anger. Anger. He killed her. That. What happened? He was legally gonna have that kid. Not if she told people it wasn't his kid. I don't know. Oh, right. Okay, so he's obsessed with the kid? Yeah, like he just really wanted to be a dad, I guess, but then like he failed his first kid, so he's like, let me try again. 
When it fails once and you've got a broken child, let me try it with the next one. So he killed her. He didn't mean to, but she was dead. He dragged her body to the backyard and buried her. He wanted to bury her with all her secrets, her evil little fucking secrets. Poppy was his, no matter what she said. Now, Floyd was empty. He didn't know what to do with his life, with this new information. So one day he sits on the couch, turns on the TV, and he was surfing through channels when he sees Ellie's photo. It was the 10 year anniversary of Ellie's disappearance and he felt a shiver go down his spine. Ellie and Poppy looked alike to the point where he was scared and he suddenly realized Noel had fucked up big time. He thought that Ellie was just some paid surrogate that she paid under the table. Ellie had been kidnapped as a 15 year old high school girl and she impregnated her and he couldn't stop watching. He watched Laurel on screen talk about her child, Ellie, and he felt like Laurel was the most sophisticated person that he had ever seen. He made it his life dream to reunite Poppy with her family, with her grandma. What? How though? The only way he knew was to start studying Paul. He studied how Paul dressed, how he carried himself, and how he took his time to slowly morph himself into someone that Laurel would notice. I think what, what he wanted in his sick, twisted mind was for Laurel to just become Poppy's mom. For what though? He, he So basically he really wanted a child, right? And then he saw Laurel, really liked her on TV. She then you were so risking... Like so much. He's yeah. risking so much. Yeah. For what? But I guess the idea of like having your kid's grandchild or grandparent in the... I don't know. Okay. Anyways. Okay. I yeah. get it. So that's his motive. Okay. And if you're like, why didn't he just go to the police? Well, say Noel did this. He had no proof because he killed Noel. And then the police would take away Poppy because he was not the biological father. Before he did anything, he needed to make sure that Poppy knew her real family, the Max. So fast forward to real time Laurel. She's anxious. She saw the weird ass bunker. She saw the weird lip balm that connected with Ellie's. The connection with Floyd, it was just too much. She hopped up in her car, sped to Floyd's. She even texted Paul and Hannah where she was going and was like, hey, call the police if I stop responding. She even called Blue, Jake's girlfriend, to apologize for not believing her. But now it's just too much. She was going to Floyd's right now to find out the truth. And when Laurel got there, Floyd hugged her and she pushed him off. And he said, here, this is your Christmas gift. Open this first and I'm gonna get the other one in the car. Um, okay. So Floyd steps in the doorway and stares back at Laurel and says, goodbye. And she's like, why are you saying goodbye? She opens up the card and it read Laurel. I sense that you're tiring of me and I sense that you have worked out what a hundred women have worked out, that I'm not the man for you. And that's fine because I've worked out that I'm not worthy of you and that I must let you go. But I must unburden myself with an, with an appalling, unthinkable truth. I have something of yours, and it was not given to me, rather bequeathed to me, in a terrible sequence of events. I need you to know that when I first came into possession of this precious thing, it had been horribly abused by another person for five years. I've tended to it and cared for this, for this possession. I've polished and nurtured it. And now it's time to return it to you. A precious gift. I cannot thank you enough. My study door is unlocked. On my computer, I left a video message. Press play and I will explain everything. Yours always, in good faith, Floyd Dunn. So nervously, Laurel walks into the office, sits down, grabs the mouse, and she clicks play. He confesses everything. How Noel tricked him, how Poppy was born, how Ellie was kidnapped, how he killed Noel. And now he wanted to reunite Laurel with Poppy. 
And he ends it with, by the time that you're done watching this, I've driven to the airport and I've smuggled a gun in, flew to a peaceful part in a country somewhere that I will not disclose, and I will be blowing my brains out. What? What? But I want you to have custody of Poppy. What? And the ending is Laurel did get custody. She got full custody and started raising Poppy as her own daughter. And it gave Laurel a sense of purpose. Laurel also found out Hannah's secret boyfriend was, well, also her future husband, they were engaged, Theo Goodman, Ellie's high school boyfriend. Laurel realized how of a mom she had been to her other kids. She had always put Ellie first, even when she was alive and when she was dead. So she made up with Hannah and Jake. Poppy was the flower girl at Hannah and Theo's wedding. And nobody really addresses Noelle's murder or the fact that, I don't know, Floyd blew his brains out. Like, nobody cared. It was just happily ever after. What? What? And that's the ending. Okay, so there are... Some of those, like... At the end, some of the emotion kind of confusing. Yeah, and at the end, it kind of felt rushed. I'm not going to lie. A lot of the reviews in this book also state the same thing, that it felt like um, the rest of the book was a bit of a slow burn, and then the twists at the end were so rushed that they almost didn't feel that shocking. So in the beginning of the book, there is so much deliberate information placed on all of these family drama aspects, but then suddenly during the twist, it was very like, this is what happened. Mm-hmm. So why is the nine-year-old so smart? I don't know. She's just, I guess, too good. She's just a weird girl? Genetics, just a weird girl. Okay. I guess it's to, to throw you off. Here's what I was thinking. I was either thinking that his eldest daughter was going to be Ellie, and he had like kept her yeah. captive and then made a daughter with her. Or oh. I was thinking, like, I don't know. For some reason, I was like, Poppy's not nine, because why do they keep saying yeah. she's not nine? Yes, so then that's I what was I like, thought. I'm like, there's has- got to be some... Maybe yes. it turned out uh, Noelle is a brain surgeon or something. Like she created an, a, a, I don't know. It's kind of, and I thought maybe I was like, oh, okay. So he for sure Ellie. Yeah. And then he was going to do some twisted to the mom. Yeah. Like, and then finally reveal all the horrible, nasty things yeah, that he did. Yeah. But it, like after all that they've been through, she would feel so gross. Yeah. Yeah. I was expecting something like that as well. I was not expecting hmm. this. You know, I did a good job of uh, build, building uh, yes. mystery. I ten didn't get ten, it. Building mystery. See, maybe I'm just like too Game of Thrones, though. I don't really like that happy of endings in mystery thrillers anymore. Like, I like happy endings, but I don't like it when it's all perfectly tied. Like, then he killed himself. Everybody bad is dead. Mm-hmm. So they don't even have to worry about them coming back. I kind of like, like, hey, everything's mostly happy. But well, you, you never, never know what's around the corner. corner. Like, that kind of vibe is what I like, but it was just very happy. And mm. that's the story of Then She Was Gone. Let me know if you thought that this was where it was going. For me, it was not. I thought it was going somewhere else, completely different. And I hope you guys enjoyed this week's Baking a Mystery. And I will see you guys on Monday for the next episode. Bye!